Welcome to WrestleMania Salvation. I am your host, my name is Sal, and on this episode, we take a look at WrestleMania 19 from a new wrestling company called the WWE. That's right, on this episode, the WWF was told to get the F out by the World Wildlife Fund, to which I ask, who knew a company with a panda logo could be such a fucking asshole? That being said, the massive roster the WWE had at this point had been split into two brands. One roster for Monday Night Raw, one for SmackDown. They had the talent to do it, and we're going to see exactly how this played out. Joining me for this episode, a longtime friend of the show, he is the one and only suplex-throwing human duplex, ladies and gentlemen, Henry Hugepex. Thank you very much, Sal. Good to be here. Good to be here for uh, what I like to call WrestleMania neck injury <laughs> with Kurt Angle coming in, Stone Cold coming in with a neck injury, Brock Lesnar by the end of the night narrowly avoiding one. So it's, uh, it's a very eventful show if you're looking for a traumatic neck injury. It is a very eventful show. Whoever's doing their, fusion, their spinal fusion surgeries is getting paid big, big bucks. I'll tell you that much. Absolutely. Uh, but we'll get to that and much, much more. But first, Henry, do you know what time it is? It's Vader time? No, 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 no. Oh. That, that's something different. It's time to go to the WrestleMania Rundown. Excellent. The 19th WrestleMania took place on March 30th, 2003 from Safeco Field in Seattle, Washington. The attendance on this night was listed at 54,097 fans. And the tagline for the event was Dare to Dream. And you know, actually, I can share a personal story for the run-up to this WrestleMania, if you'd like. Absolutely. So, the Royal Rumble 2003 was in Boston. And myself and uh, Nitromania host Adam were in attendance for the Royal Rumble 03. So, we did, in fact, see Brock Lesnar win the Royal Rumble. We saw 
uh, Triple H versus Scott Steiner, which was one of the worst matches I've ever seen live. Uh, but the match that immediately came after it, that match was basically shit on by the fans because it was terrible. And the match immediately following it was Angle versus Benoit, which resulted in both men getting a standing ovation from the crowd. And you can actually see me and Adam in the crowd. Uh, very briefly, you wouldn't know unless you were looking specifically for us, but you can actually see us giving Chris Benoit standing ovation after that match. So, you know, not our finest moment, but yes, I was actually, he and I were in attendance for the uh, 2003 Royal Rumble just two months before this event. And um, yeah, I actually, I also took a couple of notes because basically going back and reliving Rumble 03, I was like, huh, it's kind of funny. So Scott Steiner gets that big buildup at the Survivor Series. He comes back, he has pay-per-view matches with Triple H at Rumble 03 and No Way Out, and he's not even on WrestleMania 19. So nope. I, that, that tells you where he stands with the company right now. I also made a quick list of some other guys who aren't on this show. Do you, do you mind if I go into that really quick? Absolutely. Okay, so no Batista. He's got a torn tricep. No Randy yep. Orton. No Randy Orton. He's got an ankle uh, injury. So on that note, so hmm. they. it's funny because they're doing an Evolution reunion next week on SmackDown 1000. Yeah, I saw that. Because, because you know, Evolution was dominant on SmackDown, except for the fact <laughs> that they never appeared on there once. Yeah, right. But that being said, when I, I was thinking about Evolution and when they started, and they actually started in 02, but because of Batista's tricep injury, they kind of put it on the back burner until he came back. Yeah. So Orton was, you know, for all purposes, they had nothing for him. Until and you know, just, which kind of sucks for him, but I get it. Like they, they wanted him to come in with, you know, Batista, and if Batista's going to be hurt, they weren't just going to have Orton there. So yeah, yeah. But it yeah, makes well, they're sense both, in they, they were both injured though, because Orton did have an ankle injury coming in too. Well, there you go. So Jeff Hardy at this point was in the doghouse for what is termed as a variety of reasons, including drug use, refusal to go to rehab, poor in-ring performance, tardiness, and no-showing events, and he actually gets released about three weeks after WrestleMania 19. No uh, Edge, yeah, I know. Yeah, he was, he was pretty bad at this point in time. Um, Edge right now has a neck injury, so he's not on the show. Christian completely just left off the show. Uh, Mark Henry has been demoted. He's down in OVW. Test just test. That was like his ninth time getting demoted since he signed in '96. Oh my! It was such a it was such a rough patch for him so long. I'm surprised he ended up having the uh, the Hall of Fame career that he has. But yeah, test the Hall of Pain. Yeah, the Hall of Pain career. There you go. Um, Yeah, test was basically also just left off the show. Kevin Nash uh, still has that torn quad, but he actually comes comes back two weeks after. WrestleMania Test. 19. Well, we'll talk about Test in a little bit. Oh, will we? Okay. Excellent. Uh, William uh, Regal as well. He's off the road due to a severe stomach virus from the India tour. So that's messed up. And uh, the Hurricane is the last one. I made a note of the Hurricane because, you know, you and I, we remember those Hurricane Rock segments in the yes. lead up. And just absolutely nothing for the Hurricane on the show either. So kind of funny. But uh, those are basically your big omissions from the show. Now, to give you a quick story about Rumble 03, here's something that you may not have known. Oh. In 2002, I got a job with a local security company called Security Systems Incorporated. Was it, it wasn't called R&B Security? No, no, no. Oh. But they had a contract with the Fleet Center. Hmm. And they would need people for security inside the arena... Um, 
for Celtics games and Bruins games and any other events at the Garden. Now, I got this job probably the middle of 02, and then it lasted until the night of the Guns N' Roses concert, which was probably maybe three weeks after the Rumble. Mm. Now, I was scheduled to work at the Rumble, and where I was stationed was kind of crazy because I'm supposed to be watching the crowd, quote-unquote. Yeah, put me in front of a wrestling event and tell me not to watch it. <laughs> yeah, right, seriously. Um, but they stationed me. My, my position that night was basically on the right side of the entrance ramp. Hmm. So I got, like, you know, front row when everybody came out. You know, couldn't really see the ring that great, but uh, I got a fist bump from Bubba Ray Dudley when nice. he was leaving the ring. <laughs> That's awesome. Because I was like, Bubba, you rule! And he came over and he fist bumped me. <laughs> is, is that visible on camera at any point? No, no. But it's funny. Um, they had us specifically for the WWE events wear these gray polos that sent event staff on the back of it. Hmm. And I think those are actually, you can see those on that Rumble uh, in 03. You can see people like around the ring with those shirts on. Ah, Okay. There you go. So keep an eye out for Sal if you ever watch Royal Rumble 03. And, or, or someone uh, who looks in this, who's dressed in the same attire that you were dressed in, I yes. guess. Yes, and, and being that close to the entrance ramp, I can tell you the Big Show really is like a freak. <laughs> he is. He feels like he's 10 feet tall just because of his like massive size. And then, obviously, Steiner's a big dude, but... Um, yeah, Benoit got a huge reaction that night. I remember that. Yeah, that, that was, was a that, fantastic. It was a great match, but it was a great pop for him and Angle. And fuck, dude, at that point, at this point, Angle's probably one of the best in the world. Oh yeah, no question. My, my actually, my quick follow up to that Rumble O three story of yours was like, if you were standing to the right of the stage, did anybody's pyro go off there and just scare the shit out of you? Because I think Kane used to have Kane. the flames come up, right? Yeah, Kane. Okay, so everything that the announcers talk about when Kane's pyro hits, it's not hyperbole. <laughs> it literally feels like 150 degrees for like those 10 seconds that it's on. Nice. And I was like, holy shit, I'm going to get burned alive. <laughs> well, then you could have sued the WWE and maybe gotten uh, gotten a stake in it. So you should, no, you should uh, have jumped into those flames. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> oh, and that's the other thing, too. I'm sure you've noticed this going to live shows. The the um, the sheer volume of the pyro when they yeah. open a show. Wow. I mean, that that is fun. And I think it's probably more because it's an enclosed small arena versus like a Gillette Stadium. But it is fucking loud. If anybody has ever... Well, they don't do pyro anymore. But if anybody <laughs> used to go to WWE events where they had pyro, man, it is fucking loud, loud yeah. open. I remember that because there was one time I was at a show where we had like really shitty seats. We were like up in the balcony, but like in the balcony sort of like... Um, it was kind of like off to the side of where the entrance ramp was. And yeah, when that pyro went off, that was really friggin' loud. Su- surprisingly loud. Uh, but yeah, that's... Uh, I guess it's a good thing they don't do it anymore, so people save their eardrums. <laughs> I remember my father was mad that I didn't tell him that that was going to happen when Raw started once when he brought me. <laughs> he was like, the frick, you should have told me I would have brought earplugs. <laughs> <laughs> but nevertheless, um, you did you know that Ashanti 
saying America the Beautiful I to did. start WrestleMania 19. You wouldn't know it if you watched the network. No, because they edit it out and just go into the opening video instead. Which, is that like a contract dispute at that point? Do they just, like, hey, you didn't pay me enough to show me on your DVDs, so take I, me off all future broadcasts. Yeah, I can't imagine. That's crazy. Because I remember her being there when I watched it on pay-per-view. Yeah. I, I so, had forgotten about it, but I did, like, look up. Like, I went back and found, like, an old recap from, like, 2003 when the show came out. And it was, like, hitting all the beats. And one of it was, like, Ashanti sings God Bless America. I was like, oh, yeah. we did not get that on the network whatsoever. No, we um, did not. I actually, I want to touch on the opening package in a second, too. But I just wanted to backtrack because there was a Sunday Night Heat before this as well. And the reason I'm mentioning that is because there was another notable omission from the actual pay-per-view itself, but got to be on Sunday Night Heat, and that was John Cena. No no Cena on the actual show, but he was on Sunday Night Heat. And do you know what he was doing on Sunday Night Heat? Uh, no. <laughs> I didn't know he was there. He was, yeah. Uh, we couldn't get you on the main show, John, but on Sunday Night Heat, you can do a rap battle with cardboard cutouts of Jay-Z and Fabulous. So that's what he was doing on the pre-show, although he, he had some good lines, obviously. He always had pretty, had like pretty good lines this time. So he debuted with Angle in 02? Yeah, yeah, I think it was oh, 02. Oh, shit. Yeah, him and Orton, I think, were literally just a couple months apart from each other, which is kind of funny to think about. But yeah, yeah, he was, uh, what, summer of 02, maybe? And that, and that was just a couple months after Brock debuted. Oh, yeah, that's right. Holy shit, wow, that's because crazy. Brock debuted pretty much the night after WrestleMania 18. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, pretty much the big three OVW guys, Brock, Batista. I think Batista was 0-2 as well, right? Yeah, so Batista, Cena, Orton, yep, Orton. Wow. And Brock. Go figure. That's crazy. I did not know John Cena was on Sunday Night Heat. Yeah, apparently, I think, if I remember correctly, they actually were legitimately trying to get Jay-Z and Fabulous on WrestleMania to like do a rap battle segment with Cena and of course they they didn't agree to it. Um, so instead he did yeah <laughs> so instead he did the cardboard cutout thing. Um but, but actually if you go back and watch it, it's kind of sad cuz like Cena raps for 30 seconds and his mic isn't working. Oh, so boy. it's like he's literally going on and on with his rap and there's no sound coming out. So it's it's kind of <laughs> sad but when he finally starts going, I I just noted one line where he's like talking about the uh the fabulous cutout and he says Yo, it's John Cena, Thugonomics, hot as hell. He's just a bad idea, like the XFL. So, oh, I remember that line. Yeah. I think he used that more than once. Yeah, it was like it was like two years removed from the XFL, so I was like, ooh, that's still a rel- relatively fresh me, wound. Because we had very briefly mentioned the, X- the XFL in WrestleMania 17. So if anybody wondered what happened, uh, it failed. It failed. Yes. <laughs> it did not last. You know what's funny? Uh, I'll, well, I'll get into it a little bit later, but there strangely is an XFL uh, somewhat moment for something I'll cover later, but uh, the, I'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. And just the other thing from Sunday Night Heat was Chief Morley and Lance Storm retaining their World Tag Team titles in a triple threat match against the Dudley Boys and Kane and Rob Van Dam, which is another, actually kind of another thing to think about. So Kane, RVD, and the Dudley Boys can't get on the main show either. So go figure. So I didn't want to bring this up here, but I'm going to. And just for anybody that's not aware, so we established that the company has a new name. They are now the WWE. And in addition, we established that they have split the rosters. So on this show, not only do we get um, each brand has their own world champion, each brand has their own tag champion. Mm Mm-hmm. Each brand has their own commentary team. Yeah. And 
each brand has their own set of referees, and much to my chagrin, they have their own ring announcer. Oh, I didn't even, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, you're right. And uh, that's a point of contention, and we'll get to that. But I just wanted to, to, set, to paint the picture for everyone, because um, there are going to be times where it's very evident that the wrong team is doing the wrong thing. <laughs> but, we'll, you know, unfortunately, this is what the brand split has brought us. Because yeah. anytime they have a big show like a WrestleMania or a SummerSlam, we get split rosters. So it feels like two companies putting on one show. Yeah. <sighs> the worst is, I think, I'm pretty sure there's one WrestleMania. I don't know which one it is. It's probably, I guess it'd be 22 where they do, uh, you know, like the beginning where it's like, uh, you know, presented by Snickers Cruncher or whatever the fuck. <laughs> um, but it's like, and now, Raw, SmackDown, and ECW. ECW present. Like, oh, like, seriously. You're, you're absolutely right. It was WrestleMania 22, and the reason I remember that is because I bought the video game SmackDown vs. Raw 2006. Oh, and there it you was, go. And it was SmackDown vs. Raw Featuring ECW. Uh, oh, well, they only get a featuring, huh? They don't get their own. It's not uh, Raw Smackdown and ECW. It's just kind of like a cameo. No, but in the game, you could um, play the ECW story as opposed oh. to SmackDown or Raw. So, What's the ECW story like? Well, it's, have a uh, cheese it, grater? It's it's literally your, your show, only your, you have ECW, you know, entranceway and commentators <laughs> and and you don't pay any of your wrestlers <laughs> no it was wwe cw so. oh okay sorry sorry so you got like jack swagger um oh great wow <laughs> awesome all right um, uh, and actually i didn't mean to interrupt you on the video package but the video package one thing i noted so i don't know if you noticed this as well so basically you know you get the people talking like you know people saying what wrestlemania means to them so you see brock and you see triple h and you see stone cold and you know it's kind of like them doing training or close-ups of their face while they do voiceovers now i thought this was weird so i actually had to check this out they show booker t several times but there's never any audio when booker t is speaking so I went and found, like, the actual non-WWE Network version. I found, like, the actual original version. So the yeah. WWE Network, literally, they edit out what Booker T says in the opening montage. Why? And I thought that was weird, but literally I went and found, like, the opening thing. And it's Booker doesn't say anything controversial. It's just I don't know why they felt the need to – maybe it was, like, a case of them being, like – we really dropped the ball on this storyline, so we don't want to make it seem like Booker is, you know, super massive babyface going in because we're going to pull the rug out from under him. But, like, literally, they, there is audio there that they completely take out on the WWE Network when Booker T is, was originally speaking. So, yeah, go, go figure on that one, WWE. Nice job. Okay. Well, when we get to that match, I'll have a lot more to say about that. I'm going to leave that one. I'm going to let that one sit for a minute. Yeah. Um, you know, surprisingly, as beautiful of a venue as Safeco Field is, uh, apparently a lot of people forgot their signs. I not know. as many signs. I get it. We're not in the Attitude Era. But I just felt like not as many signs as even at the Rumble of 03 that we were just talking about. I know. You know. Maybe maybe a lot of them were confiscated. There was definitely a one point during the show where I, I made a note of a sign being confiscated right on camera. So, so that being that said, you, you know how, like, on your show we've obviously talked many times about the number of signs that you would see in an arena during the Attitude Era? Sure. I feel like that 
we saw less, not because people brought less, but if you remember, and as you know, in your timeline, anything got allowed in. Yeah, pretty much. Like, anything. Like, doesn't matter if it was rated PG-13, rated R, the worst goddamn words you could say in the English language, it still got in. Mm-hmm. And I think in 02 and 03 they started saying, like, no, that's not family-friendly, that's not appropriate. Like, they started taking signs away. Yeah. Or I, I thought about that, too, that maybe it was, like, a case of, you know, with WrestleMania, you get more, maybe more of, like, the casual fan who's just kind of like, WrestleMania's coming to town, I'll go. I don't know. Um, and maybe that's not even true. I, I have no idea. Um, I was just kind of spitballing there. But who knows, you know? However, I, I totally was able to you, find though, a couple of signs from this, from this event. Okay. Um, I found three that right. I thought were no, noteworthy. Uh, you get your typical, like, Austin or, you know... WrestleMania sign, or I'm from Des Moines, Iowa, like signs like that. Oh, was that Andy? <laughs> I think, I don't know if he's from Des Moines. Um, yeah. But the first sign I noticed that I thought was interesting was Hogan sucks, oh. which I thought was interesting because we have done this entire build for pretty much a year of Hogan returning, Hulk still rules, uh, super over, you know, over as much as he was back in you know, 1985, and yet, mm, it's not fooling everybody, because that guy certainly didn't think so. Well, actually, on that note, what, what I was just talking about, the one sign that I saw getting confiscated was an anti-Hogan sign. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll, I'll mention it later during the match when I when I see it. But yeah, my, the sign I saw get taken away was an anti-Hogan sign, so maybe that guy's sign got taken away by the end of the night, too. Maybe. Second sign I saw, uh, proof that the attitude ever was over, was Jay Blow's... Bubbles. Oh, <laughs> I thought that was going a different direction. All right. Well, it's not the attitude I remember anymore. And this, and the final sign that I noticed said Greg and Scott live, and I don't know who Greg and Scott Scott are, but I am glad that they are alive. Greg the Hammer Valentine and Scott Steiner, <laughs> two legends of the they ring. They live. They still actually they do still live. Good That's true. That. Wow, there you go. I'm surprised they're still alive all these years later, especially Scott, because he almost did die at one point. Oh god. <laughs> but Henry, uh, did I, you notice any signs? I did, as a matter of fact. So uh, I, I noticed more than three, and you can let me know if maybe you saw these ones too. Uh, first one, beer count too many, sucker. After that, this one was actually prominent th- throughout most of the show. Where are my pants? I that saw that at one point. Yep. Uh, bomb North Korea. Oh. Uh, this sign actually was held up several times when something bad happened, so I actually thought it was pretty funny. Somebody had a sign that said, Boo, that's the worst. <laughs> another good one. one. Yeah, another good one that was on camera quite a few times. Very simple. I don't know what it means, but I like it. You are butt. I saw that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know if there was like another part of the sign that was like, like the guy went to the bathroom or something. But Right. Um, another sign, this one I just thought was kind of amusing, like out of context. There was a sign that said, I know a sexier boy, which is obviously, you know, in reference to Shawn Michaels being a sexy boy, whatever. But if you just saw somebody like walking to the arena holding a sign that said, I know a sexier boy, you'd probably call the police, right? Yeah. It's like, is, is Nambla in town? Is there a convention? Um, so I just thought that was amusing. Another one that said, am I on TV? So the answer obviously was yes. Uh, <laughs> Another very simple sign, lots of people suck, so sure. Um, This one I just thought was a nice little play on words. F5, Brock, you sunk my battleship. 
And this one, actually, I made note of because it was just a nice sign. Thanks for this match, Kurt, because it was kind of common knowledge at this point that Kurt Angle really badly needed neck surgery going he in, did. and he was wrestling yes. the match anyway. Um, and so I nobody thought, actually... thought he was going... It's kind of like Shane McMahon from a couple years ago, or just last year at WrestleMania, when nobody knew if he was actually going to be able to fight that night, and he did. There you go. Um, so yeah, I just made a note of that one because I just thought it was a nice sign as opposed to like a snarky one. And then the very last sign I noticed, my personal favorite, just said, "Do you like the ass?" Oops. So, but those are the ones. Those are the ones I saw. Very and I wanted to, actually done. I wanted to piggyback on something you said about the commentators. Yeah. Um, so Raw is Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler. SmackDown is Michael Cole and Taz. Mm-hmm. And Jesus Christ, Michael Cole with that disgusting Fu Manchu mustache and soul patch. Mm-hmm. Like, who who the fuck let him go on camera looking like that? What an asshole. That was just, That's awful. He looks like a complete... Ugh, I, I don't know. He, he looks horrible. And they the wonder why people despise him years later. I know. Because oh. he looks like a douchebag and always has. And he is. Way Go way, way back to when Rick Rude raped him in the shower. And... Rude, <laughs> and then and then you have your reasons for Michael Cole hatred. Oh, um, oh I, I, you're talking about one of the DX segments, right? Yes. Okay. For, for a second, I thought you were confusing Rick Rude with Heidenreich. I was no. Like, what? Oh no. Yes, that's true. Mike uh, Heidenreich got his in there too. But um, yeah. no, oh, Rick Rude pulled Cole in the shower, and Cole sit there and screaming, "Not Rick Rude!" Yeah. And then and then Rude comically stuck his head out of the curtain, looked left, looked right, and then put his head back in the curtain. So yeah. But we'll get to shower rape in this episode. Oh, uh, will we? Okay. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, so speaking of the commentary team, to piggyback off of what you said, Jim Ross does a phenomenal job of welcoming us to WrestleMania. As uh, always. Very classic Jim Ross. And then we go to their SmackDown co- uh, commentary team of Michael Cole and Taz. Now, I am a Taz fan, but not so much for his commentary. <laughs> Taz starts off his WrestleMania commentary career by saying, I ain't never been a part of nothing like this. It's wicked humongous. So first of all, (laughs) it's nice to see that uh, that concussion at WrestleMania 17 was seamless because obviously he (laughs) forgets that he was at WrestleMania 17. Right. And it was actually bigger. And had a larger crowd than Safeco Field, but that's, I guess, beside the point. Uh, and also, him saying wicked from a Brooklyn guy. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Maybe he must be a closet Red Sox fan, I guess. He is. Taz the Red Sox fan. That's what I'm yeah. rolling with. I think also he gets in at the beginning, if I recall correctly, something that was like kind of a catchphrase of his is when he says, like, Oh, it's going to be a rocket buster. Oh, God. It's like, oh, God, yeah. I don't know. There's, there's a reason that one never caught on, Taz. That's, yes. I don't even, even know what the fuck that's supposed to mean. So, <laughs> Our opening contest is for the WWE Cruiserweight Championship, and it features champion Matt Hardy, version one, with his Mattitude follower, otherwise known as an MFR, <laughs> Shannon Moore, Against the phenomenal, oh, I guess I can't say that here. Against the amazing Rey Mysterio. Now, one thing I'd like to bring up is that during the brand split, WWE had the amazing idea of splitting up great tag teams, and one of the teams they split up was the Hardy Boys. Mm-hmm. Matt went to SmackDown and became a heel. 
Jeff went to Raw to do drugs. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Matt, in his V1 persona, actually kind of entertaining. Oh, yeah, I loved V1 Matt Hardy with the it, Matt facts. The Matt facts tonight telling us not only is Matt appearing in his fourth WrestleMania, but from what I heard in the song, he can also slam a tornado. That's that's true. <laughs> And, and the other Matt fact was, I actually like the other one because it said, Matt often wonders how they did WrestleMania without him. Uh, you know what? So. I've been reviewing this for 19 episodes, and I kind of agree with him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> WrestleMania 3 needed much more Matt Hardy, clearly. Absolutely. It just when needed much much less Jeff Hardy, but I guess <laughs> yeah. that's what tonight was about. A uh, couple of things I thought were interesting was that the cruiserweight weight limit that they said Matt has worked very hard to obtain and get below is 220 pounds. Yeah. Uh, the reason when they rebooted the, the cruiserweight division in WWE present day and they made it 205 was because half of their world champions were 220, like Seth Rollins and Finn Balor, and they were like, mm. eh, not a good luck. Make it less. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, also, for anybody... Who might be interested in you know what's going on in the entertainment side of the world in this era? The Daredevil movie was released on February fourteenth of two thousand three. It did all right, um, and that's the character Ray Mysterio decided to have his ring gear modeled oh. after. Oh, okay. I, I was kind of wondering that actually. I wasn't sure. So thanks, for, thanks for lending that insight because I would not have known that Ray would go on to classically dressed like a superhero or villain in some cases at different WrestleManias and I thought it actually played very nicely into the spectacle of WrestleMania that we kind of always wanted to see what hey what's Ray wearing this year it's almost like a fashion show but it worked yeah he was always very topical with the costumes too like it would be whatever the the popular movie was that he would imitate yes and I was actually a little bit worried about Daredevil because I'm like "Mm, wasn't that out too but no Ray staying on point just a month earlier, they had released it in theaters. Wow. Now, did he also put in contacts to make himself blind during this match as well? Probably. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I remember him being like, he was the Joker after The Dark Knight came yes. out. He was he was a Navi after Avatar came out. So, yep. yeah, he's, he's very good with that stuff. He's he's good at seizing on the, the popular culture at the time. He absolutely. Um, Ray, for all intents and purposes, is amazing at this point in his career. Oh, he yeah. hasn't gotten like too bulky where he was, where he was after um, Eddie passed away, and yeah, he was he was kinda he got, up. Right, he was bulked up with the spirit of Eddie Guerrero, exactly. right, and steroids. Um, <laughs> right, but at this point, he's still still really like moving super fast. For what it's worth, it was only a five minute match, but I enjoyed it. I, I wanted more. Yes, and I think that was kind of the problem. Mm-hmm. Is it, it definitely seemed rushed. Uh, at one point, Taz decided to discuss Matt's uh, diet with us, and yes. he gave us this little tidbit. Matt Hardy's off the banana juice now. No really? More DJ. Yeah, no more banana juice. He drinks tea now. Phantom Lord, Matt Hardy, always drinking tea. Drinking tea? He's always in the back, tea bag, no squeezing the tea bag. So, the term phrasing, not really popular in WWE creative at this point. Yeah. Or at least yeah. they didn't know how to do it. <laughs> yeah, the funny thing was with the whole with that teabagging thing, I had initially missed that conversation between Cole and Taz. And there's a, a moment later on when uh, I think it's yeah Taz is talking about 
the latex suit that Ray's wearing. And he asks yep. Michael Cole, he's like, you like latex, right? Yeah, and you like Cole, latex, don't you? Yeah, not for nothing. Um, but then Cole responds, I love latex. I'm still trying to figure out this whole teabagging thing. <laughs> so, so like, because I didn't hear that part earlier, I was like, what the fuck is Cole talking about? Like, he just brought up teabagging out of nowhere? But now that now that you put in that clip, I it, it makes so much more sense. It doesn't. It does. I mean, it doesn't totally make sense, but at least there was context. Well, I was going to say, it doesn't make it any better, but it definitely makes sense. And actually, I forgot to note this. There was another sign I, I saw in the crowd that said, Teabag Saddam, because the Iraq War had just broken out. So there you go. There was, there was a teabag sign in the crowd, too. Okay, let's bring this up here, then. Oh. Throughout this show, you are going to see a lot of patriotic references and um, kind of, uh, you know, rally around the soldiers. And for anybody who maybe was born, let's say they were born in 1999, and they have no fucking idea what the, the, anybody at WrestleMania 19 is talking about, uh, America and its allies had declared war on Iraq. Pro- and on the official day was March 20th of 2003. Ten days before this show. Yeah, literally ten days before this show. And this show uh, really uses that patriotism probably just as much as they did back at WrestleMania 7, the last time you guessed it on this show. Yeah, that's right. uh, When we were in the Gulf War. So I guess what I'm saying is that anytime. Saddam comes under fire. Henry will be there to talk about it. Exactly. I, that's a that's a pretty funny contrast. I hadn't even thought of that. So, the next time war breaks out in Iraq or in the Middle East, I'll uh, I'll come on to guest again. I'm guessing maybe WrestleMania thirty seven. I guess we'll see. Thirty five. The way things are going. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it becomes a very uh, topical point in the show. At one point. JR makes a plea to the soldiers to, to go over there and kick their ass and come home soon. Um, unfortunately, the majority of the troops sent to Iraq would not be home for another eight years. Yeah. So another, I, I, they wouldn't get home until WrestleMania 27, is what you're saying. <laughs> um, I, I definitely remember the sentiment that we were going to go over there and get back quick, but due to insurgent attacks against the U.S. and its coalition forces. Yeah, they were stuck over there for a while. So yeah. so what yeah. you're saying is the troops did a terrible job in that war. <laughs> you're saying. No, we overthrew I Saddam d- in like 10 days. No, by December, his no, government just, had fallen. I just wish you were in favor of the troops is all I'm saying. Oh, <laughs> stop it. Um, no, we, we did our job. We overthrew Saddam Hussein uh, by the end of 2003. And he was actually executed within three years after that. So, yeah, I remember a, a mission accomplished banner relatively quickly after the war began. So the the war was uh, the mission was accomplished very quickly. Clearly, yes. so give George Bush Jr. credit; he did what his father couldn't do in 1991. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> See, it's all it all just keeps coming around. It's all circular. Uh, oh, speaking of which, talk about fucking segues. A limo pulls up backstage. Mm-hmm. And the Miller Lite girls come out. Oh well, we didn't we didn't discuss who won the match though. Oh, sorry. Uh, I, I, if if you want to, if you want to, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I had thought we did. No, you are correct. Ray actually hit a bunch of offense. Uh, to which at one point Tad says, "Wine me, dine me, six one nine me." Yeah. 
Which is, isn't that a thing like wine me, dine me, 69 me? Isn't that yes. a thing? Yeah, yes. okay. I, I thought that's what that was. All right. Uh, but unfortunately for Ray, uh, Matt would catch him. Uh, Ray tried to go for a crucifix pin, and Matt would catch him and use the rope to get a quick three count to retain his title. Yeah, I have to say, I, I forgot all about this match, so I was actually shocked when Matt Hardy won. Because I thought for sure, you know, Rey Mysterio's first WrestleMania, you know, he's going to go over. But no, he, he certainly did not. Although I will say, I don't know if this was intentional because it's the opening match of WrestleMania. But the finish was kind of like the Brett Owen finish from WrestleMania 10, right? Mm-hmm. Where Rey was kind of going for like the victory role. Exactly. And, and Matt Hardy admitted he used the ropes. So he, was, he didn't, you know, pin him cleanly like Owen did to Brett. But it was kind of the same sort of thing where, you know, you reverse the victory role and get the pinfall off it, so... Yeah, Matt kind of won cheaply yeah. even without the ropes because Ray was rolling on offense at this point. He was. I know, that's why I was so surprised because, I mean, like, he had just taken out... Like, Shannon Moore had tried interference a bunch of times and Ray was kind of, like, rebuffing him. And then, you know, he, he basically... I think he knocked... Uh, like, Shannon Moore got up on the apron, Ray knocked him off, and then he kind of did that flurry of offense where he was... Um, like, he basically bounced off the second ropes and kind of, like, jumped backwards, landed mm-hmm. on Matt's shoulders, and then went for the victory roll. So he was kind of, like... He was hot on offense. Uh, hot on offense. There's a tongue twister um, at that point, and then basically Matt Hardy just reverses it and grabs the ropes and pins him. After like yeah, five and a half minutes, way too short for my liking. Way too short. They, they should have been given, in my opinion, probably closer to ten. But you know, is what it is. But I, I thought it was a, a really fun opener for the time they got because Ray was just bouncing around the ring the entire time, basically. Yeah, and it definitely left you wanting more. Ray and Matt. Probably at this point, you know, three could have had some tremendous matches. They probably did on SmackDown or maybe on Backlash, but uh, definitely a great opener, but too short. Five minutes is not, you know, you can't even get into it in five minutes. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so, like I was saying, and I apologize for skipping over the ring. I got caught up in the war. Uh, no problem. <laughs> as we all do. As we all do. Um, so the Miller Light girls arrive. And admittedly, I didn't know they were Miller Lite girls at first. I thought they were just the girls from Bischoff's HLA. Oh, one of them was, actually. One of them was, but that one wasn't, was. like, why they were here. I was like, oh, Bischoff's girls are here. And then they were like, the Miller Lite girls. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Because for anybody who's not aware, Miller Lite ran a campaign in 2002 uh, where a, a blonde named Tanya Ballicker, sorry, sorry, <laughs> Bollinger. Close enough. And a brunette named Katana Baker would argue about what was better about Miller Lite. Was it its great taste or its less filling? It's the classic argument. The age-old debate. And this ad campaign was actually pretty successful to the point where Vince decided, hey, I want that on my show. Of course. Why and and more he? to the point, more to the point, like one of the ads was literally them, you know, being like, "Tastes great, less filling," and it results in them like tearing each other's Just clothes off, off and like diving. I think they dive into like wet cement at one point too, and like the the reveal of the commercial at the end was it was like two guys in a bar being like, "This is what a great commercial would be," as like their girlfriends look on horrified. So yeah. basically, it was kind of like Miller Lite's way of like showing the TNA, but then being like, "See, we're in on the joke. We're not just showing you TNA when literally they're just showing you TNA." So. For some reason, yeah, the WWF, excuse me, the WWE at this point uh, just thought that they had to have the catfight girls on the show. Which, see, and it's funny because I, I made a note here that the commercials for Miller Lite usually ended with these two girls wrestling around in their bras because boobs. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> Yeesh. 
And uh, you said the one girl's name was Kitana, which I thought was like, I, I've never seen anybody with that name outside of Mortal Kombat, so that was kind of cool. She probably could have played Kitana in Mortal Kombat. She had the same yeah. look, but anyway. Yeah. She was the one who was the HLA girl. Yes. Yeah. Um, so they, you know, immediately start arguing, uh, to which the brunette replies, don't start, <laughs> which I yeah. actually thought was kind of funny. Did you make a note of the exchange between Michael Cole and Taz after they cut back to them? Yes, yeah, so Taz says... <laughs> so one of the reasons I do love Taz. Hey, uh, hey, Cole, you know, I heard the Miller Lite girls, they really dig uh, Taz. And Cole goes, really? Where'd you hear that from? He goes, mm, I don't know, I just made it up. Yeah, I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> it was basically like, Taz just got his balls cut off live on pay-per-view. <laughs> but he did it to himself! He didn't have I to know say he did. that! <laughs> Yeah, well, Michael Cole kind of left him hanging, too, where he's like, where did you hear that? As though somebody, like, actually reported that to Taz, and he wasn't just bullshitting, you know? Yeah, well. Cole, it seemed like Cole was actually like, oh, really? The, the, the cat fight girls are you into, huh? And he's like, and then, of course, Taz has to be like, no, oh, yeah, I, I made it up. Ta- Taz and the moose in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so, after, you know, Taz emasculates himself. <laughs> yes. Uh, we go to an earlier today video of little Guido, or at this point as he's known, Nunzio, uh, lures Nathan Jones into the locker room, and then apparently Nathan Jones gets American History x in the shower. Oh. <laughs> I hope not. Well, we don't know. I mean, the curtain closed, and then then they go to they cut scene, and, and he's unconscious in the shower. So you tell me what happened. Trail of blood coming from his anus. Yes. <laughs> well, actually, honestly, it's kind of funny because we as the part of the backstory of Nathan Jones is that he actually was in an Australian prison for a long time, right? So he's he's probably used to being the one giving it out as opposed to taking it. But who knows? Yeah. Who knows? So. That will explain to the fans that uh, this next match will be a handicap match as The Undertaker will have to take on Big Train, as I call them, Big Show and A-Train. Oh, there you go. Nice. By himself. Now, I have to ask you this question. If you didn't think Nathan Jones was talented enough, or, or if he was too green or whatever the case may be, why book him in the match in the first place? Why not just yeah. say he's in Taker's corner or something? Yeah, I mean, maybe they thought at first, because I guess he had debuted on, on SmackDown like a month or so before. I don't know if he wrestled any matches, but... I think he um, had like one or maybe one or two matches, but obviously okay. just squash. Right. Well, maybe they thought like, yeah, the plan is to put him in with The Undertaker, but like when they actually saw him wrestle, they were like, this guy, we can't even trust him to be in a fucking tag match, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's a shame they had big plans for him because he had a great look. I will say that about Nathan Jones. He looked like he could be a killer. He now, was jacked to shit. And, and he could do karate moves. But <laughs> Yeah, uh, kind of. I'm, I'm assuming if he couldn't bump, and if he couldn't sell, and if he couldn't friggin' take any offense whatsoever, then, yeah, probably not good to book him in a match at WrestleMania. Yeah. Actually, the funny thing, too, is I'm pretty sure I remember in the opening, like, when he first debuted on SmackDown, it they made it seem like he was coming after The Undertaker as opposed to teaming with him, because, like, one of his... I think one of his first things was, like, I'm looking for the big dog in his yard. Like, that sort of thing. And Roman Reigns? And up, like... <laughs> 
What's that? Is it Roman Reigns? Uh, yes, exactly, yes. He was looking for Roman Reigns uh, about 15 years early. <laughs> but yeah, like, he was saying he was looking for The Undertaker, and then it turned out like that he and The Undertaker became buddies instead of being opponents. So I don't even know, maybe the initial plan was to have you know Nathan Jones fight The Undertaker at WrestleMania, and I can only... I, I wish we had gotten that, because that would have been probably <laughs> even worse than the Giant Gonzalez match. But Oh my god, would that have been bad. Um, oh. Well, just stick him in a tag match, pal. That morning. Yeah. <laughs> that morning. No, he's not going out there, pal. <laughs> nope. Um, yeah. And, oh, by the way, also, unlike uh, unlike your guest from the previous show, I do not like Biker Taker. I'm just going to oh. go ahead and put that out there. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. That's fair. Yeah, his, his is 100% wrong, but, you know. <laughs> uh, I will say this, that um, we then get introduced for the first time tonight to the WWE's favorite rock band, yep. Limp Biscuits. More than that, it's the the what Tony Jimmel said was the WWE's favorite band in the whole world. Ah, yes. I'm so forgive me. That's yeah. correct. In the of, of in all, the whole world, any band, any band in the world, Limp Biscuit is their favorite band. You know that was probably written into their contract. Like, hey, you can have the rights to all these songs. We'll do all these pay per view music songs for you. You can use them forever, but you have to call us your favorite band in the whole world. Right. And, and Fred Durst has to be a playable character in one of the video games. Uh, but, then, but then you can use the music for whatever you want. Because, so, they, I mean, they do, they do leave in the performance on the network, so obviously yeah. they do have the rights to it. They leave in Roland, and I think they do... Do they do Crack Addict later? Oh, yes, they do. There you go. But you know what? Hey, it's a, you, you got to admit, Vince and whoever was in his... Uh, you know, team at that time, probably Bruce Pritchett and Jim Ross, was probably like, these guys don't even want any money. They just want us to say that they're, you know, us to say they're our favorite band. Yeah, sign, yeah. It. sign that shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I haven't really, I haven't gone back and watched any biker taker matches from like uh, SmackDown during this era, but I'm assuming that Roland is probably intact on. On those shows, too, I'm guessing. If they're on the pay-per-view, it's probably well, on that. I don't know. I mean, because he used to use American Badass by Kid Rock. I don't know if they have the same thing going there. So here's I would the guess problem. probably not. Is he switched a while ago to that You Done It Now song? Oh, yeah. But for this WrestleMania, he went back to Roland. Oh, okay. So he was already he was already on that song. Then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because when he fought Jeff Hardy in 2002, he was on that song. And Roland wow. came before that, so because he was using Roland in 2001 against Triple H. Oh yeah. yeah. So you know, for tonight, because you know Taker's a, a baby face, and because he's got a nephew in the Marines, <laughs> right? He comes down with the big flag, and you would have think this would be the spot for American Badass, but apparently <laughs> he comes out to Roland. And by the way, fucking awful addition of Roland. By Limp Bizkit, they were probably, you know, this song's three years old at this point. We don't want to play this song. But they did. <laughs> um, and they even had some kid, like, jump up on stage and, like, break dance. Yeah, that was fucking lame. That was just so fucking weird. Uh, and then eventually, literally, like, at the end of the song, uh, literally, I'm not kidding you, the last chorus, Taker rolls out in his motorcycle. Yeah, right, exactly, yeah. I was like, so they, they got a good <laughs> amount of the song in, basically. The whole thing, pretty much. Yeah. And, but yeah, you're right. Taker, Taker took his merry time getting out there. All right. So, uh, as we mentioned, it is time for The Undertaker to resume his dominance at WrestleMania. 
as he takes on not one, but two opponents tonight. The A-Train with his partner, The Big Show. Big Show, by the way, who has been absent from WrestleMania for the past couple years. But I don't think he was injured. I just think they had nothing for him. Yeah, and I think he was down in OVW at one point too, right? They they sent him back there. A seven foot, five hundred pound giant who, admittedly, did not have that many years of experience in the business, but you have nothing for him. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Just... I, my question. Uh, this is a question I'm going to pose to you about this match. Is this the most forgettable Undertaker WrestleMania match? Yes. I think so too. We have a lot I, to complain about with Giant Gonzalez. Yeah, and but that's that's memorable at least for being god awful, right? And you know, it was a lot of shittiness in the match with Bossman, <laughs> but you still remember it, even if it's for right. what happened afterwards. Yep. But Nobody remembers that. this match. Yeah, and I think most people probably don't even remember the build up to this match either. You know, I mean, I do because I'm a, a fucking nerd. I remember a little bit of it, but like, but even still, you know, I, there's probably I'm guessing most people, you know, the the Undertaker, A Train, Boss Man, Boss Man, excuse me, A Train, Big Show, with Nunzio mixed in feud probably didn't resonate with a lot of people. I'm just guessing. No, the only thing I remember about this feud, in all honesty, is that Nathan Jones was supposed to be some type of a protege. Yeah, and uh, to that point. Nathan Jones does eventually make his way to the ring. He broke kicks uh, Big Show in the face. <laughs> he then comes in the ring and kicks Albert in the face. Which should be a DQ since they announced this as a handicap match. Right, but the referee's looking right at him and kind of does one of the, well, I don't know, I mean, he's supposed to be in the match, so I guess I'll allow it. Yeah. <laughs> And then A-Train gets his big, hairy-ass tombstoned, and Taker gets the win. Indeed. Although, now that I think of it, how awesome would it be if, like, Taker lost his streak because Nathan Jones got him DQ'd? Like, we could say that The Undertaker lost his streak thanks to Nathan Jones. That would be pretty awesome. No, you know what they would have did? They would have immediately twisted it and been like, he has a singles match record of 10-0. and <laughs> Yeah, right. There you go. There you go. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, look, I, I can't spend that much time in this match. This is just too much in this show. It yeah, was it's forgettable. Not a, it's not a good match. In my recollection, I, I remember it being terrible. It's not terrible, but it's definitely not good. Um, it does go about 10 minutes, which, again, probably you could have swapped the match lengths with this one and with the, the Matt Hardy Rey Mysterio match, and I would have been perfectly fine with that, but, you know, so such is life. And I'm going to say this, based on the performance I saw The Undertaker give last year against Ric Flair, and what what he also would do in the year between 18 and 19, this is a waste of The Undertaker at this point. And I understand you may not be a fan of the character, and I'll give you that, but as far as physical conditioning, The Undertaker was in prime condition right now. Sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think his his in-ring... I mean, it, it, I, I don't really know. I haven't gone back and watched too much from this time, because I certainly have fond memories of some matches, like the one with Jeff Hardy, where he was biker-taker. That was you know, so one of my still, favorite matches. Yeah, so he could still put on you know good matches. But yeah, I mean, in terms of WrestleMania, yeah, I, I agree with you. They should have had something better for Taker for WrestleMania, even if he you, was the shitty biker-taker. I would have preferred you build... 
a Big Show versus Taker match. Just, oh, just yeah. that, and and that could have worked because well, hey, the Big Show's five hundred fucking pounds. He's seven feet tall. How's the Undertaker going to overcome this? But well, the one problem with that though is that we already know they have a history because the Taker because Taker cut that promo in '99 where he left Big Show in the desert. Yes. So I mean, we already know that Big Show can overcome the Undertaker's powers clearly. Clearly, but could he overcome Biker Taker? <laughs> yeah, fair, fair point. Fair point. Uh, I guess we'll never know. Um, at least not at WrestleMania. So what a shame. What a shame. Although, oh, although was, was... you know what, Big Show main evented SmackDown the other night. I heard that. And Undertaker main evented Super Showdown in Australia. Mm. So I guess what I'm saying is Big Show versus Taker at Survivor Series. Book that shit. Yeah, there you go. Don't don't give him any ideas. <laughs> Maybe let's make it Team Taker versus Team Big Show just to be safe. Well, it's not. <laughs> yeah. The the other thing I would note, and this is uh, feel free to go back and watch this, folks. Um, Big Show's singlet in this match is way too tight because when he's walking down the aisle, you can legit see his genitals bouncing back and forth. So go back and watch the show for that because it's very noticeable when you have a long tracking shot of Big Show walking to the ring. Let's just say that. Well, now you know why they call him the Big Show. That's right, yeah. Valvina said that to him one time, kind (laughs) of. Or I think more accurately, it was when they were at the urinal, Valvina was like, and they call you the Big Show? So. And didn't Big Show cry? Or was that just... I don't know, he always ended up crying, so... Yeah, it's probably probably one of the dozen times he's cried on the air over the years. (laughs) Uh, We go backstage again. And this time, the Catfight Girls run into the WWE's version of the Catfight Girls, Stacey Keebler and Tori Wilson. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, that Tori is looking at her own Playboy issue. Yes, I did notice that. <laughs> I mean, you're either that much of an egomaniac, or you are frenemy before frenemy was a thing, and you're just like... Hey, Stacy, look at me in Playboy. Hmm, I don't see you in Playboy. I see me in Playboy. Yeah. Or maybe she's just, like, super critical looking at it and being like, Ugh, just, you know, there are a couple hairs out of place down there. I'm just, uh, you know, not a fan. There was no hair down there. Never mind. Uh, yeah, oh, well, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Oh, yeah, because you I, never I did, looked at I that did. Oh, I did. I absolutely did, but it's been, it's been a while, so been a while but, I mean, if she's, into my brain. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was going to say, if she's in Playboy, it's probably a fair bet that there's there's not too much. Right. Exactly. Uh, we're not talking penthouse here. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> You're right, yes. Um, no, so this is where Tess comes up in this episode of WrestleMania, because yeah. the Miller Lite the catfight girl, Katana, says that she's a huge fan. She loves testicles. Yeah. Uh-huh. Referring to the fans of Tess as Stacy has labeled them. So Brilliant. we can talk about the funny name of his fans, but he can't be booked on the show. Not even in a backstage segment, which is kind of sad. Which I'm fine with. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll tell you this for anybody who's uh, interested, I guess. This segment was as dumb as it sounds. Yes. It was very, it was completely pointless. Because, like, there was actually a part where. One of the catfight girls says to Stacy, says to Stacy, or no, excuse me, Stacy says she has another brilliant marketing idea, and then they just walk off. So I thought there would be like a follow up to that, but no, it's just like that's the way we get out of the segment is 
we're going to walk off, and Stacy's going to be like, I have an idea. And then there's we don't see what the idea is. So, mm-hmm. wonderful. But, just so everybody understands, the WWE is not a sexist company. In fact, they're going to put on their women's w- WWF Women's Championship match right after this segment. Isn't that... Indeed. Isn't that progressive of them? Yeah, sure. Let's let's go with that. <laughs> now, it's funny because this match is basically the same match at last year's WrestleMania, minus Lita and Victoria. Oh. And actually, you know what? I, I gotta say, to Victoria's credit, in this match, like, I didn't remember her being so aerial with her with her arsenal. Like, there was a time, so she does, like, a somersault leg drop, from the ring apron into Trish, or from the ring apron onto Trish, I should say, and then later on, she also attempts a fucking moonsault. And I, I remember Victoria being much more, you know, ground-based, but no, she was fucking flying all over the place at certain parts of this match. That that really kind of surprised me, but it was a, a very, very welcome thing to see. So this might be a little bit blasphemous. Oh. But at this point, she was a better wrestler than Lita was in this spot last year. Well, that knife... I, I can't... Her, first of all, just her moonsault looked light years better than Lita's moonsault, which is like a fucking... Every time she does it, it's like a line drive. Yes. So, but yeah, Victoria's was really nice, actually. She had a really nice arc on it. So, yeah, much, much better than, than the Lita moonsault, I have to say. But it, it's funny because I felt myself enjoying this match a lot better than last year's Triple Threat. Yeah, this was a fun match. Um, for the record... Victoria not only came out to that song by Tattoo called All the Things She Said. Well, uh, not if you watch on the network. <laughs> well, that depends, because if you if you see right before she gets in the ring when she's on the apron with Stevie Richards, you can hear it bleed through the dub yeah. over. <laughs> I thought I heard that too, yeah. And I was like, wow, what a shitty dub job they did. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've noticed that before, like with other with other songs too. I think I, I think it was um, like I was watching an episode of Nitro or something like that, and I think it was DDP's theme song where mm-hmm, you could actually mm-hmm. hear it because they they dubbed. And actually, honestly, I mean DDP's theme song isn't like a copywritten song. It just sounds well. uh, ridiculously a lot like <laughs> smells like Teen Spirit. So I guess the WWE was like, we're not going to take any chances. We'll dub it over. But there was definitely an episode I was watching where you could clearly hear it coming through in the background. So they're not always. Uh, the best with that, apparently. No, but they probably figure as long as we, like, haphazardly cover up, they can't sue us. Right. Um, but, you know, I so I was a fan of Victoria's character coming in. Um, she was, she kind of played the psycho, and then Stevie Big was time. kind of her manager. Uh, although Stevie was really just there to take bumps, which is right. fine. Uh, I thought the match was really fast-paced. It was hard-hitting. Jazz once again proving that she is a wrestler. She's not a fitness model. She's not a friggin' uh, Playboy cover girl. She is a wrestler, and she knows how to wrestle. Especially if you listen to Jerry Lawler's commentary during this match where he's making fun of her looks for Oh, he buried her like nine times. And I was like, really, dude? Really? (laughs) God forbid you put the wrestler over. And that's the thing about Jazz. She was a wrestler in an age of pretty, you know, Playboy models. Right. Right. Uh, and speaking of pretty Playboy models, even though she never did Playboy, uh, Trish Stratus wins this match with a chick kick, and she gets a huge hometown reaction from the fans in Toronto. Oh, wait, oh, no, wait, no. 
Nope, they that fucked was, that up. They, they could have did that last year, and they didn't. <laughs> so instead, they robbed the Toronto fans of that moment. They robbed Trish of that moment. And Seattle gives Trish a polite reaction. Yeah, but I mean, Trish actually was like legitimately choked up when she won. So that was kind of nice to see that she, you know, this was like win. I think this was number four for her. This was her fourth title, but uh, it, she, it still seemed to mean a lot to her when she got us. So that was good. But regarding that chick kick, I mean, wasn't the chick kick usually to the face? Yeah, because this one was like kind of to Victoria's stomach. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't get it high enough on this on this time, but I guess it still had the desired effect. And, and to your point, I did like her reaction after she won the title. So um, I just think that you missed the moment last year. Like, she came out with the Canadian ring attire and, um, you know, all of Toronto's behind her. I just felt like that that's the moment she should have won the title at WrestleMania. And this yeah. year kind of felt like, well, we're making up for last year because we fucked that up. Like, yeah. They always tend to do that with, like, when you're in your hometown, you're going to lose for some reason. For the most part, yeah. It, it, it's, you know, there's nothing like a hometown pop. Go look at friggin' Money in the Bank 2011. Oh, man. <laughs> when you do it right, example. when you do it right, there's nothing like a hometown pop. Absolutely. Um, now, this isn't his home, and Lord knows he gets showered with praise when he is in Miami, but next up we go backstage where the coach is with the great one. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to play you this promo right here because even as a heel, Rock knows how to talk him into the building. Rock, how, how excited are you? It's WrestleMania. Over 54,000 people. People. The people. The same people who booed The Rock at last year's WrestleMania? The same people who booed The Rock when he sang and gave the concert of a lifetime? The same people who chant sellout to The Rock? Oh, well, The Rock is a sellout. The Rock has sold out this and every WrestleMania he's ever been in. You see, Coach? You see, Coach? These people hurt me. They hurt the people's champ. So tonight, The Rock could care less about the people. You see, Coach, The Rock is here for one reason and one reason only. And that is to fulfill his destiny. Fulfill my destiny. And that's this beat Stone Cold Steve Austin right in the middle of the ring at WrestleMania. One, two, three. This is the holy grail. The one thing that The Rock has ever done. The one thing I've never done, it consumes me. It eats me alive. Coach, this night, the biggest night of my life, this is everything to The Rock. Everything. Oh yeah, for the past two occasions, Stone Cold Steve Austin has beaten The Rock right in the middle of the ring. Right in the middle of that ring. One, two, three, he's beaten The Rock. But if there's one thing that Hollywood has taught me, that's act one and act two, they don't matter. The only thing that matters, everyone remembers, Act 3. The end, the climax, the grand finale. This is the last chapter to the greatest rivalry this industry has ever seen. When Stone Cold Steve Austin goes one-on-one 
with the jabroni beaten, oh, pie eaten, not afraid to sweat, not afraid to bleed, gonna beat that bald-headed bastard, Darren Dam T. And then, coach, The Rock would have done it all. Finally. Finally. Another fantastic job by The Rock, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. What I like about this promo, number one, we're in obviously the Hollywood heel rock, which mm-hmm. lasts only about three months, but is just goddamn gold for all three of those months. Uh, but he actually says in the promo something he's learned from Hollywood. People don't remember Act 1 or Act 2. They remember Act 3, how you finish. And Act 3 tonight, obviously, is the third match with him and Austin, so people are going to remember that one. Um, nice sentiment. I don't know if it ends up being the case. I think probably people more remember some of the other matches, but I guess that depends on your mileage. And I also like the fact that um, in this promo, he doesn't end it with if you smell what The Rock is cooking because he's, you know, number one, he's a he's a heel at this point. But he ends it, it, he always, you know, in his promos, he says, you know, finally The Rock, blah, blah, blah. But the, he ends the promo by saying he's going to beat Stone Cold finally, you know. So yeah. I thought that was actually a really nice touch because – Obviously, it's something he hasn't done, and you know, tying that that finally thing in there so it's not sing along with the champ as it would be if he did if you smell what the rock is cooking. So, yeah. and yeah. he let it linger too, like he he said it, like he was like being reflective, like you know, finally I'm gonna get yeah. that win over Austin, and then kind of like said it, didn't didn't do his usual like comedy shtick, kind of just like let that moment sit for a second, and was like you know, then took off, and I thought that was really well done. Yeah. It was good because he, he will pick his moments with the comedy. Because if you watch Backlash a month from now when he's uh, about to fight Goldberg, <laughs> I don't know if you remember his promo, but it's like Terry Runnels is backstage interviewing him, and he's like, "The Rock has done it all. The only thing The Rock hasn't done is make a white baby." He's always looking at, always looking at Terry. I do so. remember that. I remember the night after, um, the night after WrestleMania, the, the, this night. The Rock's in the ring, and he's like, you know, The Rock has done it all. There's nothing left for him to do. And the crowd's chanting Goldberg. Right. And The Rock goes, don't think you're cool just because you know The Rock's accountant, Ira Goldberg. <laughs> yeah. That's one, that's one way of getting around it, I suppose. That was great. Um, yeah. And I think I also sent you, on, as a quick side note, I also sent you that clip from... Um, when when Goldberg is in the ring challenging The Rock at Backlash, and for, for those of you, I've seen, I've watched this a billion times. So for those of you at home, obviously you can't. If, you're, if you want to go back and watch it, you can. But basically, what happens is Goldberg challenges him at Backlash. So The Rock is like, "You want The Rock one on one at Backlash, the biggest match of all time?" Well, simply put, in front of you, in front of the millions, The Rock says this, "Nah," and then he just leaves. <laughs> Awesome. He gives him the he's screaming at him. You, the rock, the biggest match of all time. Well the rock says this. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> and gone. That was great. That and was of course if it's it, it is the biggest match of all time, and of course there's only one arena where that huge match can take place, which was do you do you remember where it was? The Hartford Civic Center. 
Close. It was the Worcester Centrum. <laughs> oh, so, well, same thing. <laughs> yeah, w- Worcester got the last match of Hollywood Heel Rock. So, yeah, great job. <sighs> anyway, but the point is, so yes, basically, we, we just did the, the Rock promo backstage, but basically this whole portion of the Rock as Hollywood Heel Rock is just complete gold for several months. We haven't even touched on the Rock concerts that he did as well, no. which are also and, amazing. And we'll so. get more into depth in that when we talk about his match tonight, but... Uh, we are going to segue out of that and go to our next match. Uh, next up, because Vince McMahon, as we all know to this day, absolutely hates tag team wrestling, mm-hmm. he refuses at this point in his company to put any stock into a regular you know, tag team feud of like he used to get back in the day with like LOD versus the Nasty Boys or something like that. No, 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 no. Because this is probably the fifth mania in a row that he has done some type of multi-person match and tonight it's really bad because there's no reason why this match couldn't just be team angle versus los guerreros and it wouldn't be a compelling story sure well actually and as i said on sunday night heat you got for this this is the wwe tag match but the other one is what the world tag team match correct and that one was also a triple threat yep with uh, with the tag team titles, so it's so like, yeah. We get in this match the champions Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas, known as Team Angle at this point, also the world's greatest tag team. Later on, mm-hmm. they're going against Los Guerreros, which is Chavo and Eddie, and then they're also they threw in Benoit and Rhino, who have never teamed up before in their life before this. Really? This was their first time? Well, I mean, like, I think, like, a couple of matches, like, leading into WrestleMania, but I mean, like, historically, they've never teamed up. It's not like they had a history. No, not at all. And, okay, so, last year at WrestleMania X8, we did not have Eddie Guerrero there, and we did not have Chris Benoit. Eddie, unfortunately, had been kind of doing a little bit of a Jeff Hardy routine, and yeah, he, he was got fired, his ass fired. Think, right? Yeah, he yeah, got his yeah. fucking ass fired. So he wasn't at WrestleMania last year. Uh, Benoit had neck surgery. So you bring back Benoit from injury, and I understand they would make right on this later on, but for now, because you have nothing for him, you stick him in a tag team with Rhino? Yeah. I didn't that's get actually that. one of the. That's actually funny enough, one of the notes I made about this show is, you know, you have Eddie... And Chris Benoit in like a throwaway tag match, but you fast forward one year, their their right. fortunes are quite different a year from now, and I'm sure you'll touch on that in the next episode. But, exactly, yeah. and and that's the thing about this match. So this match wasn't bad. You have five of what could possibly be argued as some of the greatest workers in the world. Five, five of the greatest workers in the world, and Rhino, and Rhino. So you have Chavo and Eddie, Chris Benoit. Shelton Benjamin, and yeah, at this point, Charlie Haas, too. Like, these are guys, and I kind of get that mentality. Like, okay, in the past few WrestleManias, we've done these multi-person tag matches, and we've had Edge and Christian, and we've had uh, the Hardys, and, and and every year they've stolen the show. But you're not giving these guys anything to work with. This match was 8 minutes and 48 seconds long. Mm-hmm. It never really got off the ground as far as the crowd went. And we got kind of a bullshit finish with Rhino goring the shit out of Chavo Guerrero, Eddie pulling Rhino out of the ring, and then Benjamin just kind of like sneaks in and gets the cover. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was like a stolen little, little steal of the pinfall at the end. I, I get keeping Team Angle strong at this point, but it was legit throwaway, and nobody remembers this match. Yeah, I, I had no recollection of this match whatsoever, especially when I saw, like, I didn't look at, you know, any of the timestamps on the bottom because I just wanted it to unfold, right. you know, basically. As it, I hadn't watched this show since two, 2003, whenever it was, so I just wanted it to, like, unfold and see what the matches were. So when Chris Benoit came out, like, you know, they play Benoit's music, he comes out, and it's like, oh, wow, I wonder who his partner's going to be. <laughs> and, and it's like, Rhino comes out after him? I was like, wow, this was not something I was expecting at all. I, if you gave me, like, 50 guesses, I probably wouldn't have even gotten Rhino as a guess, so. No. You, yeah. were, you were like, wait, what? And then, even in the match, Benoit and Eddie, who definitely, as was proven within a year, uh, the most talented guys at this point, Dude, mm-hmm. their, their in-ring time together is like forty-eight, like forty-something seconds. Yeah, I also couldn't help but think when Benoit was in there with Chavo, uh, I, I couldn't help but think like the dogs are in the enclosed pool area. You know, see, you had to fucking go there. <laughs> I had to go. Hey, well, he he texted Chavo. He did it. So I know. You know, I know. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. Gonna kill my wife. Gonna kill my whole family. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, too soon? Nah, it's been it's been eleven. It's years been a while, it. and it's it's not too soon because Adam made that joke at WrestleMania X seven episodes. So. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I will give credit where credit is due. I did not come up with that. Uh, he probably didn't either. But, no, probably not. But, maybe but he did. if he did, if he did, I give him credit for a great songwriting. It was it was a great uh, place to use it in the episode of X of X seven. So of course, of course. Um, yeah. So like I said, Team Angle wins great they keep their heat i guess i don't know it just seemed like a throwaway yeah it was a fine match but it's it's nothing special it's very forgettable uh because you know what we don't need a great storytelling match that pits team angle against los guerreros in a 20-minute classic no 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 no. we need time henry for the Miller Lite girls again. Oh my god. They give so much time to the catfight girls on this show. Yeah. And so we're backstage again and Tori and Stacy start arguing over who created WrestleMania, which isn't an argument because <laughs> Vince literally created it. Yeah. You can Seriously. argue who made it successful. Was it the popularity of Hulkamania or was it Vince's marketing? But no, no, no. Vince actually did create WrestleMania. Yeah. I feel like they were supposed to they were supposed to argue over who created Hulkamania, because that, that is basically the crux of the feud, right? As, was yes, it, exactly. Yeah, was, it Vince who created, was it Vince who basically was responsible for the rise of Hulkamania with his marketing back? Or was he has it his, Hogan or was with it his Hulk, charisma? Hulk. Yeah, exactly. So whoever yeah. wrote this didn't fucking check it, I guess, because they really fucked this up. Yeah. And also, did you notice the not the, um, the blonde... Um, catfight girl i swear to god when she talks about hulk hogan she calls him several times she says hulk hogan if you listen to it so i i made this note i'm glad we're on the same page in that because she has like this crazy like fargo accent (laughs) but she's like hulk hogan (laughs) and and i hulk hogan what's all that about like (laughs) <laughs> and it drove me fucking nuts. I'm like, stop saying Hogan. Because it just, yeah. it was maddening. Like, she didn't, how do you not pronounce Hulk Hogan right? Like, I just. I know. Uh, well, well, you know, Hulk Hogan, he was responsible for Hulkamania. just like her. It really does. <laughs> 
Oh my god! And then the other one. So I guess uh, I, that, I guess that was uh, I guess that was the other catfight girl in the wood chipper there. <laughs> um, is it at this point that they say that? The, yes, it is at this point uh, where they're like, you know, it's WrestleMania. Let's settle this in the ring. Right. And then the in the mi- ring, in bed, in the ring, <laughs> in bed. Yeah. Yeah. And then the Minnesota girl was like, "No, let's settle it in bed." <laughs> to which everyone was probably like, "Yeah, fucking settle it in bed. Yeah, do that." Dude, they cut back to Lawler and King, and Lawler's like, "In bed." And <laughs> Jr. goes, "What do you want to be a bed sheet now?" <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he does. <laughs> and Lawler, you know what? I'll give Lawler credit. He goes, "You might have to call the rest of this by yourself." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. My well, god. Sometimes, sometimes Lawler stays over at his girlfriend's place and in his girlfriend's bed too, but uh, I hear he's not a fan of the My Little Pony bed sheets, though. Oh. <laughs> Exclusive scoop for you there, folks. Uh, okay. we, uh, <laughs> you know what? We're going to get to Jerry Lawler in a little bit too, because I have a bone to pick with him coming up, but that's not for a couple matches. So yeah. before we get to that. We are going to talk about our next match, what I consider a very underrated feud. I think Uh, that's fair. We get a hype video, a hype package for Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho. Now, everybody remembers Shawn and Chris Jericho's feud in 2008 when Shawn's wife got involved and... uh, Got legitimately punched in the face. Yes, got legitimately punched in the face. Sean also got his face thrown to a TV, and it brought back memories of Jannetty, and it was done amazingly, and rightfully so. It is one of my favorite feuds of all time. But I think this match and this feud gets forgotten because of it. Because before any of that happened, Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho had a fantastic feud leading into WrestleMania 19. Yes. Where they played up the fact of Jericho was basically, for all intents and purposes, a Michael's Mark, and that he modeled his career after him. But at one point, you know, Jericho decided he wasn't going to be the next Shawn Michaels, he was going to be the next Chris Jericho. Which I thought was a great line, and really a great feud. This was an underrated feud that nobody talks about. Right, and I think also they teased a little coming into this that, like, you know, Chris Jericho's been in the WWE for, at this point, four years. He's never really had, you know, a signature WrestleMania match, Yep. right? It was kind of like, um, it, almost like him proving himself, and by the same token, it was Shawn Michaels' first WrestleMania match back after uh, WrestleMania 14. It's been, at this point, five years, because he's been injured. It's so been it kind of had years. that build... Exactly. Yeah, so in, in addition to... The great thing they did here was, in addition to the actual feud, it was kind of like... It was about both men's in-ring skills as well, because it was again, you know, again, as I was saying, Jericho, like he hasn't had that you know signature WrestleMania match, and Shawn Michaels, first time back on the big stage in five years. What's a Shawn Michaels match at WrestleMania going to look like now that he's you know returned from injury? So yeah, I thought it was really well done, and uh, to say they delivered the goods, I would think would be an understatement. My my only complaint with this, my one complaint, is that for some reason. Why is Shawn Michaels firing confetti guns on his way to the ring? Like, I, I made the note in my, my notes here, Shawnee B. Bad? Question mark? <laughs> because that's ba- he's basically like firing off Johnny B. Bad's confetti guns, and multiple. Like, there's like five or six of them, and two of them don't go off, which they, doesn't work. They, they had them strategically placed on the entrance ramp. 
Kind of like the Scarecrows when uh, Bray Wyatt's entrance at WrestleMania 31. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. And Michaels went, would grab one and shoot him off into that direction of the crowd. But to Michaels' credit, when a couple of them didn't work, the, he completely improv and he, he, did, would, yeah. he would like look at the crowd and be like I don't know is it going to work I guess we'll find out <laughs> yep which I thought was amazing cuz that's how quick he is you know he didn't panic like oh shit it didn't work like no he just completely played into it absolutely um and it was a celebration because it, it was Shawn Michaels return to WrestleMania and what I liked is contrary to where he was at SummerSlam 2002 when it was actually his first match or when he won the title at Survivor Series of O2. He actually looked like Shawn Michaels tonight. He had oh. the old gear. He didn't have some fucking old crappy brown pants. He didn't the, have the like the Dutch boy haircut. The Dutch boy he didn't have like the jeans that he wrestled in in two thousand two. Like he what looked like fuck? HBK. That those brown tights it's funny too, because Survivor Series O two was when he won the title. Yep. And literally the only time he wins the title in his second run. And I think it only lasts for about a month. And yeah, he wins it. the The image of him winning the title is him in those fucking god awful brown tights. So yeah, Sean has addressed one. this in his book, and he's gone to say that, um, the, you know, those like like he didn't know he was winning the title that night. And yeah, that, and that right. his real tights for that night like got lost, so they had to like jerry rig tights together, and that's the only thing they could like come up with. <laughs> Well, try harder next time, because... <laughs> go with simple black next time. Maybe that would be a better look. Yeah, there you go. Instead, they were, like, legit poop brown. <laughs> exactly. Well, I suppose if, if he shit himself during the match, it'd be easy to hide, so that's good. <laughs> so, you know, Sean felt like Sean. The only difference with this and the old Sean Michaels was uh, a lot less sexy boy dancing. Uh, a lot more praying to God, you know. <laughs> yeah, true. He had the cru- the crucifix around yeah, his the neck. Crucifix the crucifix around time. his neck the entire time. Which I mean, look, hey, good for him. Um, it still felt like Sean to me. And you know what? It's amazing because I would dare to say that Shawn Michaels matches post back surgery at WrestleMania are better than his WrestleMania matches before back surgery. It's crazy to think about, but I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's you can definitely make that argument for sure. And he has no shortage on either end of his career of, of fantastic matches. Maybe we'll maybe we'll see another one in a few weeks, I guess, um, when, when he comes back. But yeah, I mean, my favorite match of all time is from Shawn Michaels' second run, the one against Undertaker at WrestleMania 25. That is, uh, and that's a lot that's of my all-time favorite. And he, but he, he just like churned out classics, like you know, starting with tonight, and then. He had a great triple threat with Benoit and Triple H next year, and and uh, Angle at twenty one, and then he yeah. um, he fought Cena at twenty three, and he fought Vince even, at twenty two. Like even on episodes of Raw too, I have I have fond memories of like you know the match he had with Shelton on Raw. Yeah. Oh match- my God, the super kick. Oh yeah, of course. Oh, that was that, everybody remembers that finish, but that match was was a great one as well. But also, uh, I think he does the Iron Man match with Cena. He does. He goes an hour on Raw the night after they just went almost forty minutes on WrestleMania. Right. So I mean, that's you know. And then at twenty four, he uh, twenty four he retires Flair. At twenty five and twenty six, oh. he has the series with the Undertaker. I mean, this it, it's like 
some of the best matches in the history of WrestleMania. Yeah, and uh, SummerSlam 05 when he's selling against uh, Hulk Hogan. I no, mean, just no, fantastic. No, no, no. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but it is amazing that Sean came back and was a, you know, for all accounts, a better performer than he was when he left. Seriously. Um, thank God, too, because, you know, reviewing these WrestleManias, when you watch WrestleMania 14 and that's Sean's last match, that's not, that shouldn't be anyone's last match. I mean, the guy was in severe pain the whole match. Yeah, but he gritted it out. Oh, he absolutely did. But you could tell it wasn't like you know it was him at about thirty eight percent. Yeah, actually, you know, knowing that uh, on the Raw Attitude podcast, getting a quick plug for my podcast there (laughs) on the Raw Attitude podcast, I obviously covered WrestleMania fourteen because that's on our timeline, and I went ahead and you know going back now and watching with hindsight, knowing how fucked up his back was, I counted how many back bumps. He took in that match, and I think it was something like 22 or 23 back bumps in that match with his back fucked up. So, I mean, he definitely, you know, he he didn't want to go out there and, you know, not be Shawn Michaels, even though he was, you know, clearly, clearly quite fucked up from that, uh, from the casket match. So I was going to say, and it, you know, not trying to pull back the curtain too much, but there were things that Michaels could have planned out and done with Austin that didn't involve him taking 22 back bumps, and they still could have had a passable match, but like you said, he didn't want to not be Sean. He didn't want to not be the, you know, the the main event, the the showstopper, so... Absolutely. He he and only he, knew he one way, it. and that's the way he wanted to do it. So. That's right. And he does it again in this match against Jericho as well. Now, you could argue that, you know, his performance in that match with Austin may have cost him more years. Yeah. You know, the four years he was gone from the business. Because <laughs> um, that doesn't usually, you know, back surgery usually doesn't take four years to recover from. But I think right. he had multiple back surgeries, so... Who knows how and, much well, actually, damage he did to himself after uh, the Rumble with yeah, the and actually, casket the, spot. But. It actually plays in well to this match, too, because we're still less than a year removed from HBK coming back. So Jericho, for a good portion of this match, is working over HBK's back, which is which works well for two reasons. Number one, because of the back injury that he had in real life, but also because Jericho's finisher is the Walls of Jericho. So it makes sense that he would be, you know, working over HBK's back. So it kind of has, like, a, a bit more extra weight to it that, you know, if he puts the walls of Jericho on Shawn Michaels with his fucked up back. So Yes, I will though, say on that note, the one thing I think that the WWF or WWE, whatever, has to always be careful of, of is of going to that well too often because at this point it's fine, um, but I feel like within, you know... A year from this point, every time somebody hits uh, a backbreaker on Shawn Michaels, they have to bring up his fucked up back. Right, yeah. It gets it gets the point of, you know how like Seth Rollins, like if, if somebody kicks him in the knee, it's like the end of the world because, oh my God, he, he had that knee surgery. And like for like literally two years, that's all anybody did in a match was work his knee. Right. <laughs> It, it, because, yeah. it is a fine line where you can't overkill the gimmick. Right. Because I was going to say, clearly, you know, when somebody injures their knee. Now, now from from now on, it's just hanging on by a thread, clearly. Uh, every time. That's what, and then, you know, what's funny, that's what they went with last year with Triple H. He had come back from his quad injury, and they used that in the storyline. And they were like, his quad, his quad is literally hanging on by a thread. And I'm like, that's not how quads work. Yeah, <laughs> right. 
Um, this match was great. You know, Absolutely. fucking amazing back and forth from both of them. Um, I loved the spot where Jericho um, kicked, uh, kipped up, and then yes. Michaels did it right behind him. Yep. And Jericho also continuing the Shawn Michaels mockery actually hits sweet chin music. He hit it good, too. And you know what? Yeah. For a guy who idolized Shawn Michaels, whether that was more storyline than actual reality, um, he never really incorporated a super kick into his offense. No. But he fucking nailed him. <laughs> he he hit a good. great one. And I liked his little shimmy, like with the punch, like, you know, kind of like a punch shuffle before he hit the kick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The old, uh, the old uh, Y2J HBK routine, I guess. Yeah. And then but yeah, I, uh, Sean hits a better one, but unfortunately he can't make the cover because he's, he's just passed out. Right. Um, well, more on that very spot later. Yeah. Someone hitting, someone taking a while to cover that was a little too long. But anyway. Um, so yeah. I, okay, so I really like the match. My only issue, and I've had this issue in wrestling for forever, so... I enjoyed the ending sequence, and I enjoyed the roll-up to get the pin. Mm-hmm. Here's my problem. Okay. That move that he used to get the roll-up, where he kind of, like, almost takes a flat-back bump um, yes. to hook his legs under the other guy's armpits, and then somehow right. he magically, like, that has enough leverage to get him over and, like, roll him up. Right, I yeah. never bought that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't even know what you call that. I, I guess you would call it a roll up, but it's like that's yeah, like you said, that special thing where you're basically you're you're leaving the ground, you're jumping up in the air, putting your feet under the guy's armpits, and kind of like rolling him up. Yeah, from, that's from not that. how physics yeah. works. Yeah, it also doesn't work. It also not it's not good because the spot before that is uh, like basically Jericho whips HBK into the corner, and he does like the upside down cell. Yep which is supposed to play up the fact that his back is fucked up, and then, like, two seconds later, he voluntarily, like, throws himself on his own back. Yeah. It's not... Look, first of all, I gotta say, of all the people I've ever seen do that spot, Michael's just done it the best, so I'll give him that. Um, Mm -hmm. Because there's some other guys I've seen do it that it looks really bad. (laughs) Uh, But I just... I don't... Look, it's just... To me, that... I just never liked that, that particular move. Like, yeah, I, I that's, prefer that's... him to, if he's going to do that, you know, when he lands, uh, you know, hit him with a forearm and then just, like, small, you know, give him a schoolboy or something like that. Like, right, right, yeah. Uh, I, I would agree with you on that. But that's, again, I think that's, you know, just kind of nitpicking because yes. the match overall, it's a fantastic match. It is a fantastic match. After the match, there's a great moment where Jericho's practically crying and, you know, they meet in the middle and... um you know, <laughs> at, there's a slight point where I actually believe that Jericho's like legit being uh, emotional and, and and you know touched by the moment, and then he just completely Nakamura's him. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because uh, you hear the disdain in Jr.'s voice for that. Yep, Jr. is is really good at basically picking his moments. On things like that, where he just—it's not—it's um, not him like forcing a moment, 
where you know, oh my god, blah blah blah, god, it, it's actually earned in this case, where he like comes across as disgusted <laughs> that you know the the character of Chris Jericho would do that to the character of Shawn Michaels, like oh that so that's how you do it, that you hit him with a low blow, so yeah, what are you going to to play that clip? I am going to play that clip for us right now. Oh good. to Jericho, he knows how to keep his heat. You know? Oh, yeah. And even at that point when he was... I don't want to say floundering, but he definitely was not being used to his fullest potential. In the, in the WWE. Which he would come to realize in a couple of years, but... Uh, yeah, more on that right. later. Yes, but well, I just I just said SummerSlam 05. I'm pretty sure it's the, the day after is when he's gone, actually. And he wouldn't return for... Two fucking years. Yeah. Um, even more than two. He came back in November of 07, so. And yeah. then when he. O- 07, yeah, you're right. And then when he came back, he proceeded to have probably the best year of his career. Every time Jericho leaves, he only comes back better. I've noticed that. <laughs> well, I will say, actually, when he comes back in 07, I remember thinking it was actually kind of fucking lame when he first came back and he was like, you know, the. He was doing the. Um, Matrixy shit. Oh, that, you didn't you know, like to, that? I love that. No, well, I mean, I remember in that, like, when he was initially the baby face, I remember him having the promo with Orton, that face off, and that was, you know, it was just good to have Jericho back. It was a good, it was a good face off. But after that, I think there's a match against uh, JBL, JBL that he has at the Rumble where it is such a bad match. And, like, it, part of that is JBL's fault because, like, there's a moment where, like, uh, Jericho goes for a bulldog and, like, I think JBL was supposed to like reverse it, but instead JBL just like falls flat on his face yeah. while Jericho was like standing up. So I remember like for a while there, his his matches when he first came back, I was like, oh, this he's not having very good matches, and it was kind of like you know this is his return, and it's kind of a lame return. And then eventually, when they finally make that turn, and I think it's against Shawn Michaels, right, where he kind of does that thing where he's like. You know how did how did the Shawn Michaels I know become such a sniveling yes. little worm yep. or whatever? I think I think that is the actual heel turn when he smashes him through the mm-hmm. the Geratron. Um and that basically turns everything around because now he becomes you know wearing a suit Jericho uh, modeled after by his own admission um, the the killer from No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you ever heard that. He, he says that's that was his basis for yeah, it. Although that guy didn't wear he didn't wear a suit in that movie, but it was like you know he was he was kind of like adopting that sort of persona in a suit, uh, kind of like, kind of like Nick Bockwinkle Jericho, if you will. It, it, um, absolutely, where he yeah. where he's using like these long elaborated words and, and uh, long elaborated insults. He, he did. He became the Nick Bockwinkle of two thousand eight and. 
a credit to Jericho to reinvent himself. Um, something he would prove later on that he's always good at. But yeah, like you said, I was an, I was really excited for his initial return. But then, babyface, short-haired, wallet chain Jericho kind of fell flat after a while. <laughs> yeah, I, I think also it's kind of funny because when he first comes back, he has the long tights too, if I'm not mistaken, with like the number patterns on them. Yep. Right. Yep. And then as soon as he becomes heel, what's he do? Now he's wearing the short tights for some reason. It's you know, but it's something he said he learned a long time ago from other vets, like in the eighties, that like if you're gonna change, change. Change everything. Right. Change your hair, change your look, change your outfit. Um, make sure that you don't look like you used to because you wanna make sure people don't, you know, confuse the character. They want like the this is a separate character. This is like evil suit wearing Chris Jericho. Like, sure. And he was still kind of reinventing himself up until recently when he was here, doing the whole thing with the list, dressing in the ridiculous scarf. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's been he's had a lot of great runs in the company, that's for sure. And maybe he'll be back again at some point. I don't know. You want to talk about reinventing himself? Go look what he's doing in New Japan these days. Uh. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, it seems like he's dressing like, uh, what, Clockwork Orange or some shit. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he's pretty psychotic, but it's crazy because he's more violent than he's ever been in his entire career. Well, that, that goes with going along to Japan, I suppose. I, I guess so. Um, we go backstage to a part of this angle that I completely forgot. Uh, Sylvian Granier, yes. the ref from no, out, uh, no Way Out, goes into Vince McMahon's dressing room. Yes, the crooked referee who helped uh, The crooked helped referee, Hogan, not Nick Patrick, not somebody right? else, uh, right. who screwed Hogan at the No Way Out pay-per-view. That's right. I got the win for Hollywood Heel Rock. And obviously, Sylvian Grania would go on to wrestle with the company, but at this point, he is the Brad Maddox of, of referees. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, now, I'm, I'm pretty upset about this. We talked about this earlier, about each company having their own ring announcers. Mm-hmm. Well, Tony Chimmel completely steals the Fink spotlight. Yeah, that's true. Well, because when he gets to announce the uh, attendance... He announces the attendance, and I'm like, fuck you, dude, that's Fink's spot. Yeah, only Howard Finkel can announce fake attendances. Come on. <laughs> uh, then Chimmel... But then, you know, I guess it's a, it's a two-way street, because Howard didn't have to announce the WWE's favorite band in the whole world. <laughs> Lump Biscuit. Lump Biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they come out to play the theme song... Off, uh, for this WrestleMania called Crack Attic. I played it for you at the beginning of this episode. I actually liked the song, and I thought they did a decent performance of the song here. Yeah, well, it's, it's of course called... I mean, they used the song Crack Attic because that's what most wrestlers end up becoming after their careers are over, I think, right? Is that is that the reason? They definitely had Jake Roberts in mind. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, I guess in the song lyrics, it's because he's Fred Durst is addicted to cracking people's skulls, according to the song lyric. That's literally the explanation, so... He's he's not a he's not actually addicted to crack. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I believe that. Uh, uh, well, well, these days he might be. Yeah, exactly. Um, he was just on stage a couple days ago, getting drop kicked by Shaggy Two Dope from the Insane Clown. Well, so Shag- still making headlines. Shaggy attempted to drop kick him, to which right. to which Durst responded, "What a loser! He didn't even hit the move." <laughs> oh, I thought he said, "What a pussy!" He did. He did. So, That's correct. Yeah. What a pussy! He didn't even hit the move. Yeah, which he he. I mean. You know, ICP, they were trained wrestlers back in the day, but clearly Shaggy has lost a step. Well, that's what Shaggy people do. Uh-huh. There you go. So, how do you follow 
the attendance announcement and a live performance by Limp Biscuit with one of the worst matches in WrestleMania history. Oh well, no, man, you don't have a match. You have a segment as we go to coach on the stage and he asks if we are ready for a WrestleMania catfight. Well, this was a match though, technically, wasn't it? Or maybe it wasn't. I, it, no, 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 stop. Oh, that. it's not. This was not. Well, there was a pinfall on the coach. Yeah, but that still counts. <laughs> So, before... Okay, so first the Miller Lite Catfight Girls come out, and, you know, Tanya and Katana take their shoes off, and they, they actually get in bed because the WWE has set up a nice bed for these people uh, uh-huh. right on the stage. Tanya and Katana get on top of the bed, but before they can turn WrestleMania into the most viewed porno of all time... Stacy Stacy Keebler's music hits. Yeah. And she comes out and to every fring- single man in the crowd's delight says she wants to turn this into a three-way. <laughs> Indeed. But instead of that, Tori Wilson comes out and says, hey, you got the Miller-like catfight girls, you got Stacy Keebler, what this match needs is a Playboy bunny. Or a Playboy cover girl, I believe she says. Yeah, and she's ready to make it a fatal four-way. Yeah. Now, much to the crowd's dismay, this match goes from being triple X to PG thirteen pretty quickly. Yeah. If you saw the catfight girls, basically the catfight girls were fighting each other, and Tori and Stacy were fighting each other. Yes. And if you saw the 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 pillow shots the catfight girls were giving to each other, it was the most business exposing <laughs> pillow like they were barely swinging the pillows probably because they're both models and they're like you know let's let's we, our faces are our business let's not kind of go for the heads they're just like swinging pillows lightly into each other's sides it was it was pretty bad yes now to make up for that tori takes stacy and rolls her up in like a pinning predicament but instead just spanks her because that's yeah. kind of what stacy's gimmick was at this point um, and then they do the spot where they roll on the ground and they roll over coach. Right. It's usually like the spot the lucky referee gets. Right. Um, because two hot girls rolling over you is is the best thing in the world, except for when you probably get elbows in the goddamn teeth. <laughs> right. But uh, then, as if this couldn't get any worse, the girls decide to turn on the coach... Pants him, beat him up a little bit, and pin him? Yeah. Your winner's women, I guess? Yeah, and and Tor- Tori is the one who makes the three count. Right? Or, or Stacy pins coach, and Tori makes the three count. So something tells me that that wasn't legal. Can you imagine if they tried to do the segment today? Uh, I imagine... They probably would not. They, they probably would be getting a lot more complaints these days if they did that segment. I mean, I think it would be hilarious just because it would be something different on Raw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it would certainly liven things up a little bit, I suppose. But I don't think they'd be able to get away with it. No, not these days. They wouldn't be able to now. Meanwhile, in 2003, a good portion of the crowd was enjoying this. Yeah, and, and with Jerry Lawler's pervy commentary, too, so you couldn't get away with that. 
Oh, it we didn't goes get, beyond we didn't get any of the. Oh yeah, we didn't get some of the. He didn't bust out any of his classics like he used to do. Like the all those curves, me with no brakes, or or what was the the other one he used to do was uh, <laughs> this is this was the worst one where he'd be like, you know, Jr. Panties aren't the best thing in the world, but they're next to it. <laughs> so <laughs> I remember that. So no, we didn't get any of those gross, gross king moments. He's he's just a perv in general, but thankfully no no pervy king lines. But yeah, this was this was a pretty terrible segment. And you're, so you're saying this wasn't even a match. This was just I like, wouldn't call it a match. Yeah, it happened in even, a bed. Even though there was a pinfall. I mean, well, none of the girls were pinned. Yeah, well, I guess from there we can move on that, to something that which is we, somehow more that offensive. That was shown on TV. None of the girls were pinned. Hey oh. Hey, ooh, hey. Um, but oh, yeah, I, I would say the next segment is actually more offensive than this one, but uh, for different get reasons. To more offensive than this, because this, for all account of purposes, was comedy frat boy bullshit. But our next segment goes far beyond uh, Animal House or something of that mm. nature. No, 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 no. Our next segment is going to dive deep into the uh, social awareness well. (laughs) And we get a package for our World Heavyweight Championship match between champion Triple H versus challenger Booker T. Now, for anybody who's not aware... The WWE Champion, the championship, the undisputed title that Triple H won at last year's WrestleMania, uh, was signed exclusively to SmackDown, thanks to Paul Heyman. So Raw didn't have a champ. So Eric. So what did they do to give themselves a champ? Uh, well, they brought back the old big gold belt. Oh, they had like a tournament? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, Bish- oh, well, Bischoff they, just kind of showed up on Raw with it one night. Well, actually, yeah, I, I, I was gonna, I was setting you up for that one because if I recall correctly, isn't it basically just like Bischoff handing it to Triple H? Uh, well, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Bischoff, you know, was very upset that Paul Heyman signed the WWE Champion at the time. It was Brock Lesnar exclusively to SmackDown, so he's like, "Fuck them! We're gonna have our own title." It just happens to be the goddamn WCW Big Gold Belt. Yep. And we're just going to give it a Triple H. Wait, yep. shouldn't there be like a mat? Nope, we're just going to give it a Triple H. Yeah, it's literally kind of like the But he wasn't even where... the last cheat. Nope, we're just going to give it a Triple H. Okay, then. It kind of reminded me of how, isn't there like a, a time, uh, I guess I'll come to this on my timeline at some point, where like Midian just takes the European title out of Shane McMahon's bag? <laughs> Yes. And, like, Midian is now the champion. It was kind of like that. See, you, you referenced that, and in my mind, it was when Andre tried to give the title to Ted DiBiase. <laughs> yeah, right. But that lasted all of 30 seconds before Jack Tunney was like, no fucking way. Right. Andre's classic promo where he says, and now I sell the World Tag Team Championship <laughs> to Ted DiBiase. It's like, what, did he say tag team? I'm going like, to give yeah, the World yeah. Tag Team Championship to... I don't know why Andre became Italian all of a sudden, but... <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, okay, let me just say this about the video package. Uh, okay, first of all, I don't know when Booker T's mother died in real life. I would assume mm. that most of the stuff he said in that video package was on a shoot. 
Uh, I would fucking hope, because Lord knows if they made that shit up for storyline, this gets even more worse. Yeah. Um, but, that aside, I kind of get, initially, what they're doing with Triple H. I mean, for all intents and purposes, this is all old horseman bullshit. Triple right. H is playing the role of Ric Flair. He comes out in the suits... He, you know, he's got his hair feathered. He's um, he's got the fucking $35,000 Rolex watch. He's got the $500 shoes. And Booker T, for lack of a better term, is playing the role of Dusty Rhodes. Right. For a guy from more modest, a more modest background. Exactly. And so, like, I get that um, idea. Uh, even to the point where they had an interview segment in the video package where... Triple H is uh, sitting there talking to, I believe it's Taz and Cole, and he's in a suit, and it reminded me of a flair for the gold, like way, oh, yeah. way back in like 85 on the NWA, like, you know, Saturday Night Wrestling or whatever it was, where like mm-hmm. Flair is out there with the belt, and he's like, you know, I'm the champ, and Dusty Rhodes is, is beneath me, like, it was very, it had that very similar feel. The, the only problem with it is with this angle, there were, uh, unlike the Dusty Rhodes angle, there were some pretty overt, like, racial overtones to, to this. Yeah, so this actually segues into my next note. Uh, whether knowingly or unknowingly, they really inadvertently brought race into it. I'd say knowingly, because, I mean, Triple H literally calls him a common street thug well, at one point. Um, you know what? Here's the proof, and I'll play it for you now. I will be the next world champion. And ain't nothing nobody can do about it. Booker, you're nothing but a common street thug. The fact is, Booker, somebody like you doesn't get to be a world champion. I laugh my ass off thinking about you challenging me for the world heavyweight championship. So there you go. So that's... um. That's Triple H. There's there's actually something they didn't play in that pre-match montage where there's another moment that Triple H says to Booker T that he can be his limo driver and carry his bags. So there there's another another uh, very questionable moment in the lead up to this feud. Oh, that's fine. DiBiase used to say that to Virgil all the time. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> uh, oh, I mean, not that I'm comparing, you know, but. Oh, oh, and actually, on that note, you know who doesn't help matters with this feud is, of course, Jerry, Jerry, Lawler, Jerry Lawler. Because the, I think the literally this match is not a good match, in, in my opinion. But the most interesting thing is the commentary where Jerry Lawler keeps trying to get off these one-liners about Booker T being a jailbird. And at one point, like Jr., it almost seems like he he kind of breaks character. But he he almost says "goddamn" on the air. He's like, "Why don't you get off that horse? You've ridden it into the goddamn." Into the ground. Well, no, he does say so, "God like, damn it" a little bit later in the match. But you're right. Oh, does, at okay. that point, he does. He, he's starting to get really pissed because the f- the premise of Jerry Lawler's uh, jail jokes are are fucking outdated enough. But mm-hmm. he just keeps fucking going. Like, oh, Booker T's family portrait is is a court sketch, to, right. to which I thought. Hilariously, uh, you know, Jim Ross was like, "You're no stranger to a courtroom." <laughs> yes. Oh my God, I love that. I was like, "Whoa, J- Jr." Like, 
in theory, you know, Lawler is just kind of like being the character, kind of like, you know, he's playing the heel commentator, but like JR kind of takes to another place where he's like, yeah, you know, how about that, uh, how about that time you almost went to jail for raping an underage girl? He doesn't, he doesn't say that, right. but I mean, when he's talking about him potentially going to jail, that's exactly what he's talking yep. about because he was, you know, he was on trial, well, not on trial for that, but he was accused of that. And I think the, the, the girl who accused him actually dropped it, so there were no charges. But um, yeah, literally, that's JR, that's what he's invoking when he says that Lawler has seen the inside of a courtroom. So, so okay, yeah. Very, very quick segue, but anytime uh, somebody gets accused of something like that, and then all of a sudden you hear the charges were dropped. Do you, are you like me? Do you picture the person who was actually accusing being in the courtroom being like, no, that that person is is absolutely fine. They are an upstanding citizen. And then just like in the Simpsons episode, uh, somebody hands him a bag of money, and, and he goes, yeah, right. and he goes, oh look, my laundry has arrived. <laughs> yeah, with a big a big like dollar sign on it. <laughs> that's that's what I picture every time I hear somebody drop charges. I'm like, uh huh. So, but or, or like Lawler's in the courtroom and he's doing like the uh, the finger across the throat <laughs> motion to her. You know, oh, I dropped the charges. I dropped the charges. Um. You know what? Uh, so you say that Lawler was playing the hill commentary role, but I think we have audio proof that maybe he felt a little similar to how Triple H felt. Hmm. I like how Jr. legit gets mad. And he's like, "What do you mean those people? Well, what kind of yeah. people do you mean, King?" Yeah. <laughs> And then, and like Law, obviously, it seemed like like Law was playing up the racial thing too. But then he's like, "No, I'll tell you, he's a he's a great second rate wrestler. Like he was the tops in WCW, but this is the WWE, and he's a second rate wrestler." He actually calls him that, which is almost it's not worse, but it's still pretty bad when you're like, "Yeah, you know, he was WCW guy, but uh, now he sucks. He can't compete with the guys here who were, you know, who came up in the WWE system." Which is obviously bullshit because Booker has some great years ahead of him, especially the King Booker thing when he becomes King Booker is awesome, but. Um, it's basically like Lawler is saying, yeah, this guy is not worthy to be challenging for the title right because now. Because he's which a is WCW also... guy? That's that's supposed to be better than because he's black? <laughs> yeah. By their, so. by their standards, by their writing staff? Like, that, you know, I don't know what's worse. Like, obviously I know what's worse, but I mean... <laughs> But I mean, it, it's not you're not endearing yourself to anybody by saying, "Oh well, he can't be in the same ring as Triple H because he's a WCW guy." I mean, that that just yeah. goes to exactly what everybody's been saying for years about Vader, about all these people who came from WCW and got buried the second they got in. Big Show, I mean, the fuck, man! Like, thank God Booker did have enough talent to rise above that. Not to quote a John Cena T-shirt, but you know. Um, <laughs> Look, just because he was a WCW guy doesn't justify you burying him. And that, look, I'll say this: I I don't know. Maybe you didn't. It sounds like you didn't enjoy this match too much. But no, I actually didn't mind it because I thought Booker. There were some points where Booker. This was probably one of Booker's best matches in the company to this point. Well, I, I actually haven't gone back and watched very many of them, so it could be, but uh, in this one, I mean, so much of this, like in the early part of this match, was like both guys, it's like punch, chop, punch, chop, and they do get it going a little bit more toward the I end I was going to say, it really started but, to pick up in the middle, and and then towards the end. Um, so there was a couple, first of all, I do, obviously, if he's going to emulate Ric Flair, I do appreciate Triple H working on Booker T's knee. Uh 
there I, I enjoyed Booker's selling of the knee injury. The fucking Harlem hangover was beautiful. Why, I was amazed that Triple H took that move because that is like that's a really dangerous move. Like, so the, the the Harlem Hangover is the top rope flipping leg drop that Booker does. Where if if he misses that, if he's off by like a couple inches, he's gonna crush your fucking face. He's gonna land with the full weight of his body on your face. Yep. So thankfully that did. I mean, he didn't. You know, obviously Triple H ended up being fine, but yeah, I, I couldn't believe that and. That was basically that plays up toward the finish because because uh, uh, Triple H had been working Booker's knee mm-hmm. through most of the match, and so like Booker he hits the Harlem Hangover, but his knee is hurt. He can't go over and get to Hunter, and then after that Booker T tries to bounce off the ropes and he basically just falls down, he just collapses, which yeah. which leads to the the finish, which I had a huge problem with. I don't know if you had the the same issues that I did, but. Um, that finish was like that was like the ultimate burial of a finish. Okay, so here, here's the problem. Before we even get there, so I mentioned to you that Jr. does say "God damn it," and yeah, eventually he does lose his fucking temper because before Booker hits the Harlem Hangover, Flair keeps trying to jump up on the apron and, and get him down, mm-hmm. and um, Booker T cracks Flair in the mouth and knocks him. Off of the the turn the apron, and Jerry Lawler goes. Let's see, what did he do that for? Ric Flair didn't do nothing, and Jr. <laughs> loses his shit, and he goes, "Flair has no business up there, goddammit! it!" <laughs> <laughs> he legit lost his shit. It was fucking hilarious. Yeah, uh, and then as you mentioned, Booker hits the Harlem Hangover. I thought it was fucking fantastic, and. Uh, you know, he can't make the cover because of his knee, and JR's, you know, like, you know, Booker T's uh, knee is torn to shreds, and Lawler goes, why are you worried about his knee? Booker T just landed on Triple H's head. Yep, right. <laughs> and JR fires back, well, why don't you go down and give him mouth-to-mouth, then? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Booker goes off the rope, I'm assuming to try to attempt another axe kick. Unfortunately, his knee just gives out just can't even fucking stand on it. Which, you know what? To be honest, that's how you properly sell a knee injury. Oh, yeah. That, that uh, should I didn't be, so much... You shouldn't be able to run if your knee's been worked on the whole match. Absol- I like that, actually, because there, there was a... I forget what the match was, but there was a moment on one of the episodes of Raw I watched where somebody was getting their knee worked over, and they went for like an Irish whip from one corner to the other. And I don't even remember who it was, but they literally... It might have actually been Triple H. It was Triple H, as a matter of fact. I think it was a match against The Rock, where Rock went to whip him from one turnbuckle to the other, and Triple H just fell flat on his face because he couldn't run across the ring because his knee was fucked up. I thought that was really good. And it's smart, because if your knee is actually fucked up in real life, you're not going to run. No matter what you... No matter who throws you, you're going to just fall. Right. Right. But in this case, I didn't so much have a problem with with that, what I had a problem with was the pedigree. <sighs> I, I, I don't know if this did this bother you as much as it did me. Well, go ahead. No, you you go first. Yeah. Well, so basically, so yeah, Booker T falls down, and this is this, by the way, is a completely clean victory. Uh, Ric Flair was interfering, obviously, but I mean, he doesn't interfere. He doesn't play in the finish. In fact, Booker knocks Flair off the apron and then hits the Harlem Hangover. Mm-hmm. So Flair didn't mm-hmm. prevent him from doing anything. So basically, yeah, Booker collapses. He bounces off the ropes. Triple H takes that that momentum from him, and with Booker T falling over, he picks him up, hits him with the pedigree, and Sal, did you count how many seconds it took for Triple H to pin Booker? So here's the fucked up thing, is 
initially I didn't realize this was the finish. Like, I kind of knew it was the finish, but I'm like, he's taken way too long. Yes. Um, did, so I figured, that, took him? I figured this was going to be a kick out. I think it was something like eight seconds before he even covered him. Oh, I'm, I, I actually counted it. It wasn't eight seconds. It was uh, 23 seconds. Jesus fucking Christ. Was it really? It was 23 seconds. Uh. And if the, the worst part, too, is he doesn't, he doesn't go over. He doesn't hook the leg. He puts a hand on Booker's chest yep. and pins him. So I mean, this is like this is like ultimate burial. I've never seen. I mean, just think about twenty three seconds in wrestling. That's an eternity for like basically Triple H hits the pedigree, he falls over because Triple H is like you know he's he's completely exhausted because the match has been going for almost twenty minutes, and so he eventually crawls over twenty three seconds later and puts literally a hand on Booker's chest. See, I and didn't that's mind enough. the hand as opposed to hooking the leg because to keep with the story, he he was too ti- you know tired to get over there. Why would he all of a sudden be able to hook the leg? I get that. I get the hand. But the time oh, yeah. in between was ridiculous. Right, that's exactly it. I wouldn't mind if like if Hunter hits it and then he takes like, you know, a couple seconds to crawl over, but the fact that it was like 23 seconds from the time he hits the pedigree to the time he actually makes the pinfall, that's like that's what really you know, just, oh, I've never seen, it's one of the worst finishes to a match I've ever seen, especially given the fact that the whole build-up is Triple H using this sort of racist rhetoric, and you think, okay, Booker's definitely going to win, and Triple H is going to get his comeuppance. No, the guy who's being racist wins the feud and keeps his title, and buries the guy, buries the guy completely in the process, and basically backs up everything he said about, you know, I laugh my ass off when I think about you being a champion. So, so... All right, this is what I texted you the other day, and I said I was super pissed off, and I had a lot of shit to get off my chest. Please go right ahead. As bad as the finish was, where, as you mentioned, 23 seconds before he even pins him, and normally in any wrestling company through any years, when it takes that long to cover, the guy will kick out. Now, that being said, if Booker... If Booker kicks out at two and a half and Triple H gets up and hits him with a second pedigree and then pins him immediately, no harm, no foul on that finish. Sure. Because that's how it should that's be. Kinda like, that's kind of like Royal Rumble 2000. Where exactly. If he, hits the pedig- he hits the pedigree on Foley, he kicks out, and then he's like, oh, no, 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 yeah. we're going one more, and he puts him face first in the fucking thumbtacks. Exactly. Um, and if, yeah, if I mean, you we, do don't, that, we don't need thumbtacks for this if, match, if but you, yeah. If you, if you have Booker kick out because it took Triple H that long to get over there to cover him, and then you just have Booker lose to a second pedigree, maybe it's one off the second rope or whatever, fine. No problem with that finish. But the fact that you let Triple H cleanly pin him, and it wasn't like Booker T did the old school kick out at three. No, he was dead. Yeah. He was dead, and you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of SummerSlam 2013, where where the WWE was accused of burying somebody else when Triple H hit Daniel Bryan with the pedigree, and then it oh, goes, yeah. what, two minutes later, Orton covers Bryan for the title? <laughs> Because uh, I hope it wasn't that long. Um, but it, well, it was a while ago. Way, yeah, he hits him with the pedigree. Uh, Orton then slowly makes his way into the ring, hands him the, the briefcase. Triple H goes all the way over to the announcer's desk to give the briefcase. They announce it, and then Orton covers him. So you tell me how long that was. 
Yeah, they they also played a game of go fish in between too, which I thought was unnecessary. <laughs> uh, but so the length of time between the pedigree and the pinfall was not only insulting. I think everybody in the entire crowd and everybody watching was like, "Wait, Booker lost." Yeah. Like that's the fucking thing, and that that really upset me is in this feud, you had a guy who became through you know merit the number one contender for the world title, won a battle royal, beat the Rock that's to, right. to win a battle royal. Yep, he is made as the underdog. He is shown as the redemption story. Like, yeah, I got in trouble when I was younger because my mother passed away, and there was seven of us, and I started running with my crew. But I redeemed myself. I went. I finished school. I got to, to into wrestling. I became a five-time WCW champion, and I, I earned my shot here. So the guy with the redemption story, like I said, like I compared at the beginning, the Dusty Rhodes of this story loses. And looks like a bitch. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but Wrestling 101 in this... Uh, and you know what? If you don't want to tell that story at WrestleMania, if you're Triple H and you don't want a job to Booker T at WrestleMania because he's a WCW guy, then don't tell that fucking story because you've told right. me for months, at this point two, three months, that Booker is an underdog and he's fighting for all the normal, common, working-class people and fuck us because the 1% rules. Right. And especially, <laughs> especially you can't bring in the racist language for that because and I mean, then that's I was just... gonna say and then you bring in the racist the race card to this to where you know you're not just chastising the guy for being in jail you're calling him a street thug um, you're constantly having your heel commentators bury him as as some type of friggin ex con and it's just it it's so race associated that. You know, you're lucky you didn't do this match in a place like Detroit or Chicago. <laughs> yeah, right. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't care if 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 that's like not how they thought people viewed it, because that's exactly how people viewed it. Is that they were burying the black guy? Yeah, well, that's what they built it up as. That's by the by their own design. That was what they did. But if Booker wins, no harm, no foul. Exactly. Because that's the story you decide to tell. But by having Triple H win clean, are you telling us that he's better than Booker T? Because of the color of his skin? Like, is that what you're actually saying on this program? And I'm sorry if I'm reading too much into it, but that's what I felt. Yeah, it's also, it's funny because you had Flair interfering throughout the match, but it might have also been a different story if Flair's interference directly resulted in Booker losing. But it doesn't. I mean, it's yes, be because bad. then then it can be like, oh, Triple H couldn't beat Booker T. Booker T had him beat, but but Flair and that old horseman mentality and stuff like that. That I get. Right. But in this case, it wasn't even that. It wasn't even Flair's interference results in a win. It was uh, Booker T's collapse because Triple H was working over his knee, and then he got a pedigree, and he got pinned cleanly in you know, literally 23 seconds while he was down on the ground. So it's... It's it's probably one of it, I said this when uh, when I did one of my episodes with William Rankin recently. It's one of I think the worst finishes I've ever seen, especially given all the build up to it. Well, the other so. problem too is not just to finish the match because if you go back at Backlash and let's say Backlash is in Detroit and Booker wins and like let's say they do it in a cage, you've kind of redeemed the story. 
But yeah. this was the end of the story, and I think that's what gets people so upset. You don't want to finish the story of Mania? Fine. You want to be stubborn? I get that. But then we should get the payoff a month later. But then you couldn't do a cage match because you'd have Jerry Lawler being like, Oh, Booker's back behind bars! Woohoo! Uh-huh. Good point. Uh, yeah, it's just, I think it left a lot of people with a bad taste in their mouth, and it cemented that mentality of, because by 2003, in real life, he was dating Stephanie McMahon. In fact, I can look it up. I wouldn't be surprised if they're already married at this point. Right. This is the this is like the 02 to 04 reign of terror era, right. basically. And, and right. And that's what everybody and see. That's the other thing. It's not just a race thing. It's a Triple H doesn't do jobs and buries new talent thing. Right. Well, thankfully he's doing jobs. Been... <laughs> like uh, he, oh oh no he's sorry he just went over he beat the Undertaker he just the other day the okay because right. because the whole thing was Triple H has never beaten the Undertaker and now you know twenty years later he finally gets that first win so that's that's great because. Triple H in this, and you know what? I think the guy's done amazing things on NXT, but the character he portrays, or he has himself portray when he's the game, it's, and the way the game is booked is he can be 94 years old and he will, like, <laughs> fucking hit John Cena in the head with a cane and pin him and be like, I finally beat Cena! <laughs> yep. And that that probably will happen at some point, too. <laughs> Like, and it just comes off as so fucking bitter and so self-serving. There's no yeah. reason why. Look, for a guy who did do jobs to, for other people in this business, people like Batista, people like Cena, in just a couple years, there's no reason why uh, Triple H couldn't have fucking lost you. No fucking yeah. reason at all. It seemed like, in this era particularly, anybody they put on Raw, I, I don't know if they just thought they couldn't quote-unquote carry the ball or whatever, but it always seemed like no matter who we put on Raw, Triple H is always going to be the guy in this era from 02 to 04. Or uh, maybe it goes deeper than that, and maybe Vince trusts his son-in-law to be the WCW killer. Because like you mentioned, Steiner, Triple H yeah. fucking buried him. Goldberg, Triple H buried him. You know, mm. you go all the way to 2015 when Triple H just fucking had to get that win, win against Sting. Right. Like, maybe that's Vince's thing, is if there's ever a WCW guy, I'm going to have my son-in-law bury him. There you go. I mean, that's, that's you know, take the race car out of it. That's even more fucking pathetic. That you won. Like, you get that, right? Like, that you won the Monday Night War and you're still burying <laughs> talent from the other company? Yeah, well, actually, they they did the literal thing with the with the Triple H Sting match where they shook hands afterwards. It was like the Monday Night War is finally over. It's like, uh, isn't that wasn't that decided a long time ago? You know, and of course, of course, in the quote unquote Monday Night War, Triple H naturally beats Sting, which served no fucking purpose whatsoever. But you know, like for a guy who you know Vince McMahon who claims to worry about the health of the business, the industry on a global level, he's very self serving. And all this shit. And very petty. And very like, well, this is my product, and I don't care if he was a five-time WCW champion. Like, how does that make you look, dude? Yeah, right. Fucking seriously. seriously. All right. Uh, Enough ranting about that. Because speaking of Vince McMahon... Yeah. And speaking of, speaking of vindictive... Vince McMahon has decided to put himself... In a match that Gene Oakland calls 20 years in the making. Yeah. Was anybody really ever clamoring for a Hulk Hogan versus Vince McMahon match at any point? 
You know, I mean, I they mean, say twenty years. In, they say twenty years in the making. Like it's you know two guys who just never quite clash before. But it's like uh, no one ever really wanted to see these guys fight, right? I mean, you could make an argument like in, when he testified against them, people would jokingly might be like, "Oh, put him in the ring," but that was even still that was like ten years ago. So, yeah, which is funny too get... because like they invoke that in the feud, which is like so we're talking about this feud between Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon, and we're bringing up the steroid trial. Like you're really yeah, going which, there. By the way, Vince says in that video package on national TV. I was in the trial of my life. Right. Well, this is... Okay. This is 2003. And just like Matt Hardy's entrance had the little web browser, I can go on the web in 2003 and put in <laughs> Vince McMahon trial. And I'll get the information that tells me that it was a steroid trial. All right, go so on. So when you say yeah. it was the trial of your life, what exactly were you fighting against what were they te- what were they accusing you of vince yeah oh it was why was steroids. it the okay. trial of your life <laughs> yeah. go on go on web crawler in 2003 and find the information <laughs> because you know it, oh hulk hogan how dare you testified against me well you probably killed 70 to 80 wrestlers <laughs> because of the steroids you injected in them fair I mean, let's go. I mean, let's ask Ultimate Warrior, like, if the fucking steroids he took had anything to do with his death. <laughs> uh, or any but, of the know, other guys, yeah, any, any number of them. And speaking but. of fucking steroids, dude, I know in your timeline, and we're, we're going to talk about your timeline later on, too, that uh, Vince McMahon is, is working out and showing up and, and showing off his guns. Right in your timeline, that that's going on, right? Yeah, especially uh, about to get to St. Valentine's Day Massacre, where he uh, is in a match. Yeah, and he he's got his his man oil, <laughs> right? Not but, baby oil, man oil. But tonight, um, I think he was on a few cycles. Uh, oh my god! Because for some reason, more than at St. Valentine's Day Massacre, more than at the Royal Rumble '99, Vince looked. Fucking enormous Boy, coming yeah. out in this match. Yeah. Like his shoulders, his deltoids, his traps. What the fuck did he take? Well, I mean, since he's. I think the way they have it now is like the part time guys don't get tested, right? Isn't that the, the arrangement they have? That's why, like, when Brock got busted for steroids, he, he was banned from UFC, but the WWE was like, no, he's a part time guy. So, you know, we, didn't, uh, we don't have to test him. And also, I'm sure <laughs> Triple H, also part time guy. Um, yeah, but I don't know if that was the same thing they had going here. But yeah, he's, he's tri- basically Vince has always been ridiculously jacked for a guy his age, whatever his age is. You know, throughout the years on my timeline, I think he's about f- late forties at St. Valentine's Day Massacre, and he's ridiculously jacked. And then here in this match, he's fifty-seven. Uh, so actually, excuse me, he'd be fifty-three on my timeline if he's fifty-seven yep. here. So yeah. And yet he had the body of a 25-year-old fucking um, uh, Mr. Universe competitor. Yeah, ridiculous. And, and and the other thing, so you, have you ever seen the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie? I think it was the second one, The Secret of the Ooze. Yeah, with uh, Kevin Nash. <laughs> yes, and do you remember how Kevin Nash comes on the screen? Because the guy who plays Shredder takes the ooze and, like, dumps it over him, and all of a yeah. sudden he becomes Super Shredder, who's this yep. super, super jacked-up guy. That's what McMahon looked like he did. 
<laughs> That's, it also explains why Super Shredder called the uh, Turtles vanilla midgets, too. I thought that was unnecessary. No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I remember most about this feud, Sal, is... I, I don't know if you've seen this clip before. Do you remember on SmackDown, on the lead-up to it, where Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon have the face-off, and Hogan keeps botching his way through his promo? Yep. I believe it gets. we get the famous line where Hogan actually says, If you actually think that I was just the right gay guy... <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, uh, so that's that's what I, I remember most about the lead up to this uh, to this match, and this and honestly, this match between Hogan and Vince has one of the most unintentionally funny moments in a WrestleMania match I have ever seen, and it came out of nowhere. I laughed my ass off. It was so pointless. Do you know the moment I'm talking about? I don't think we're on the same page here because I thought I knew what you were talking about, but then. Um you described it differently. Yeah, there's a moment where basically Hogan has a chair. He's stalking Vince, who is near the commentary table. Oh, slings... oh, oh, no, I have that. No, oh, oh, no, 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 we'll get to that. Oh, okay, sorry, all right, I, I want to ruin it. We'll get to that. Uh, but it's fucking hilarious. That's not the moment I was thinking of. There was a different moment that becomes iconic in this match, but we'll get to that. Too. Oh, yeah, well, that's amazing, yeah. But, um, so, first of all, Vince, or actually not Vince, but Hulk comes out to Voodoo Child at this point. Uh, they obviously dub it over on the network. Mm-hmm. Now, this Terribly. is a huge missed opportunity. Why yeah. didn't he come down a real American? Yeah, exactly. And they know their mistake because on the DVD release, guess what? He comes out to no American. Oh, there you go. And And the other thing is, too, and I get it, Hogan is 100% not the performer he was even 10 years to this point. Sure. Like, you go back to WrestleMania 8 or 9. I'm not saying he has to be as good as he was in 85, but, yeah, like you said, he's bumbling promos, and uh, his shtick seems really kind of tired. I don't get what happened in one year's time where the crowd was going absolutely fucking apeshit for him becoming Hulk Hogan again, and then a year later they're kind of like, eh, it's cool, it's all right. <laughs> well, just by virtue of seeing him so much, I guess it's less special. And then, well, for, yeah, you get soon, that nostalgia feeling for the first time. You're not going to get it like the ninth or tenth time. <laughs> yeah, and isn't he pretty soon after this? Doesn't he become Mister America relatively soon after this as well? Yes, he does. Oof. So yikes. The um. So there's a couple different things in this match. First of all, Vince gets color within like the first five minutes. Yeah. And he doesn't just get a cut on his cheek. No. He becomes the proverbial crimson mask. He does. He goes for it. Uh, that being said, there is a spot in this match, and it has become iconic in any <laughs> Vince feud. It should be. Where uh, Vince finds a lead pipe on the side of the ring while he's outside and Hogan's on the inside. And all you see, it's a great job by the director, is Vince's bloody head slowly (laughs) rise above the apron with this fucking sadistic look in his eye. Evil smirk. And you know what? We are in the right month for that shit because it felt like a horror movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, seriously. It was, and yes, he had this fucking goddamn evil, evil genius smirk on his face. Like, here's Johnny! <laughs> yep. Uh, 
fucking iconic. But before that, we did get a spot. You called it funny. I felt bad for the guy. Oh, I did too, but it was just so out of nowhere. Because Hogan is attacking Vince with a chair, because this is a street fight. And he goes over to the commentary table and hits Vince on the back with a chair. And then he takes a wild, like, fucking Barry Bonds type of swing with the chair. And instead of hitting Vince... He hits Hugo Semenovich right in the fucking face. Yes. And the worst part about that is that Hugo does a goddamn blade job. And we never, but we never get like a close up of his face. You just kind of see him lying around in the background. So it's like, who, first of all, who thought this was a good idea? Who, who was saying like, what we need out of this match? You know, it's Hogan versus Vince, 20 years in the making. Let's have the Spanish commentator get color for no fucking reason whatsoever. Why? Okay. Poor Hugo Savinovich. He goes through his entire WWF career, barely gets to use the table he's working on. Because <laughs> right. every goddamn show, they, they destroy it, and he's left there for the next hour without a table. And then tonight, they ask him to get fucking busted open by a chair shot? Come on! Yeah. Who's Mas, doing this to poor Hugo? Mas Sangria. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I don't, I don't understand that. At all. But it was, it came. I don't remember that, that spot from the match at all. So when I saw that, I just laughed my ass off because I was like, "Why? Why would you put that in this match?" Well, see, that's what I was saying too. But I wasn't saying why would you put that in this match. I was like, "Why would you do that to Hugo?" Yeah. Well, he used to be a wrestler. He's okay. He probably wasn't taking many chair shots to the head back in his day. But yeah, jeez. Um, I was just so, I was so mad. I was so upset. Yeah. So. Both guys get color, which, again, because it's a Vince match, he's allowed to do it. Now, yeah. well, also, I know... That, that was actually part of the lead-up to the match, too, was when uh, Vince busted him open and signed the contract signed in his blood. Signed the contract in his own blood. Which is very cool. Very cool stuff. I liked um, it, anyway. So, I know you weren't with me for the ride for WrestleMania 17, but you listened to me and Adam talk about that one, correct? Of course, of course. Now, we both felt that they overbooked the shit out of Vince versus Shane. Oh my god, yeah. But to a, and, put a very good extent, though. Yes, and you kind of needed to because these were not two guys who were, uh, you know, they they were office. They weren't really workers. Right. Well, that that pop, I mean, that Linda McMahon gets when she stands up in that match is ridiculous. Oh, it's amazing. It's, yeah, it's one so of the they, best fucking pops they've gotten in a long, long time. Yeah, so it's, it was definitely overbooked, but I mean, booked... Not, no, I won't say to perfection, but booked expertly in that match. But the reason was there because I'm like I said, you're not, you don't have a ring vet in there that can carry the match. Now, right. with this match, unfortunately, Hogan is about ten years past where he could carry a match. I don't want to say his prime because his prime was probably twenty years ago. Right. But you know, ninety three, ninety four, even I would say ninety six, he can probably carry a match at this point. He's kind of past that, so. They overbooked the shit out of this match, and uh, the first spot of overbooking is the crooked French referee comes down. Right, right. But actually, let me just piggyback on what you said about them not being really workers. What really was jarring to me was the beginning of this match where Vince McMahon is literally out-wrestling Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Why was why was that happening? It's he didn't use it wasn't you know it's a street fight so he could have used like you know eye gouge shot to the groin to turn the tables. It's not even like that. He just starts like elbowing Hogan, like working him over with punches. At one point, he's getting the better of Hogan for a while with the test of strength. I was like, 
why the fuck is this happening? Like Vince McMahon, who who is saying that it's a good idea for Vince McMahon to be out wrestling Hulk Hogan? Like, oh, why that's is easy. Vince is saying that? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> it would be one thing win, if, like, but I'm gonna look strong. <laughs> right. It'd be one thing if Vince is like always, but if Vince was always a wrestler and he was always booked strong, but it, Vince's matches are mostly like him being a cowardly shithead. And, like, Hulk Hogan was the biggest star in wrestling for, you know, however many years, 20 years. And Vince is out-wrestling Hulk Hogan, which is just ludicrous and ridiculous. You go back and you watch any super-hot Vince match, whether it's with Triple H or Austin or even a few years later against Michaels. And predominantly, he plays the cowardly heel role. Maybe he gets the upper hand when, like, he cheats and then, like... He'll just start, like, throwing haymakers to somebody's back or, like, he'll kick him in the nuts or something. But for the most part, it's almost like a Jericho role. Mm. Whereas in this match, he looks like Batista. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, like wrestles like. Like, he's dominating Hogan. It's- this isn't fucking Sid, who's, like, six foot nine. No, this is Vince. 58-year-old Vince McMahon is dominating Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Actually, and as a side note, I mentioned this earlier, um, the sign that gets confiscated is actually, I think, in the early part of this match where you can actually see somebody um, on the hard camera side. It might even be when Vince is doing the test of strength. Uh, Somebody has a sign that says, pukester, 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 that security comes over and takes away. Not allowed. <laughs> no, 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 you can't be. You can't be opposed to Hulk Hogan. That's that is against the rules. So yeah, that's that's when that sign was. I just want to mention that because I did. I, I referenced it earlier. So yeah, so Vince gets in way too much powerful offense at the start of this match. Way too much. Uh, then, I mean, uh, granted, he does it while he's bleeding like a sieve, so there is that. <laughs> but uh, Sylvian Grenier comes out as mm-hmm. the crooked French referee. Uh, that in itself is a little bit weird, but obviously he's like a ref in, in Vince's back pocket. Doesn't seem to last Although, long. Well, actually, on that note, you, you missed somebody else coming out before Sylvain Grenier comes out. No, I thought that was after. No, it's before. Did I not? Mm. Are we talking about the rowdy one? Indeed we are. Ah, fuck. Okay, wearing, I'm a, sorry. wearing a shirt that says farts. I'm sorry, I mean uh, frats. <laughs> I was wondering what the fuck his shirt said. Uh, um, yeah, so we talked about this match being overbooked. So, okay, to your point, before Sylvia and Grania comes out, uh, out of nowhere, a guy jumps in the ring, and he takes off his hood, and it's fucking Rowdy Piper. Yeah. Rowdy uh, Piper? <laughs> What's his name? Uh, Jason's going to get on you for that. No, I just called him Rowdy Piper because he's a rowdy individual. Oh, fair, uh, all right, fair enough. But to my defense, a guy who I've been compared to more times than I can count, Taz calls him Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Oh, okay. Which is not correct. It should be Rowdy Roddy Piper. There you go. Uh, but he, so, he, in this match, he takes the Piper part of his name literally because he picks up the lead pipe. Which Okay, we, so this was yep. weird because they do bring up the fact that he has issues with both guys. He hates both of them, according to the commentators. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was also where I thought the, the brand split hurt this match. Because Michael Cole and Taz, with all due respect, should not be calling this match. <laughs> this needed to be a Lawler-JR match. You have Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon. Can you imagine JR's call in this match? How oh, much man. better that would be? Quite a bit better. 
Well, he's Satan himself coming up with all that blood on his face. <laughs> it just, it would have been so much better. Instead, you stick, like, why, why was this a SmackDown feud? I, I get know. it, Vince owns SmackDown, but awful, awful, absolutely yeah, awful. I agree. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah Piper comes out, like, yeah. yep. supposedly he hates everybody, uh, and then he takes a pipe and hits Hogan in the face, and then he blows a snot rocket on him, which is even more fucking disgusting. Mm. <laughs> Uh, I didn't get Piper's involvement. I, I, I went back and I didn't I, read well, anything about him being uh, involved in the storyline up to that point. I think it was probably because like they're they're talking about like you know this feud is twenty years in the making back to like the early days of WrestleMania and maybe Piper was saying, you know what Piper said about Hogan before was they loved you so much only because they hated me so much like that sort of thing right like, and, and and if you want to tie that into who created wrestlemania or what's wrestlemania success attributed to then rowdy piper needs to be in that conversation because without piper you don't get that hogan mr t moment there you so go. i will say that does make sense but maybe piper should have appeared on tv prior to that because yeah, maybe it was, he did i don't know it was we. I didn't see anything because I went back and I tried to read some stuff, and it didn't show that he appeared. Um, it was just random, kind of where come out of nowhere. Where were Paul Orndorff and Mr. T in this feud? In San Jose, where we will find them at WrestleMania 30. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. That's right. <laughs> Not San Jose, New Orleans, wherever. Uh, I don't remember where they oh, did yeah. that spot. Was it thirty or thirty one? Yeah, it was you're right. Thirty was thirty was New Orleans in in the Silver Dome, brother. <laughs> no, but where oh, was I the mean spot? Superdome. But which one had the spot where uh, Piper shook hands with um Hogan like wicked unwillingly? That that was thirty, I think. Oh yeah, no, it was Mr. T. It was Mr. T. He, he was like ah, 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 and he like finally shook his hand. I'm pretty sure that was thirty because Hogan was there as like the host or whatever with uh right. the segment with, with Rock and Austin. Yeah. Well, if we're wrong, I'm sure somebody on Twitter will correct us. <laughs> I think I think we're right. I think it's 30. So, I personally didn't understand Piper's involvement. I thought it was kind of a waste when you have a legend like Rowdy Piper show up. Well, it sets up him teaming with uh, Sean O'Hare in a few weeks to, to face Hogan and, what, Zach Gowan or whatever the fuck it was? Sean O'Hare. Have you I... forgotten Sean O'Hare? Hmm. Yeah, this was one. This was around guy? the time. Well, well, he's dead now. I know. But, but there was. Uh, I'm pretty sure this was around the time he, they were like doing those awesome vignettes on SmackDown where he was like being the devil's advocate. Where he's like, you know, go ahead, cheat on her. You'll you'll feel better about yourself. Besides, it's there's no feelings involved. Like that sort of thing. Like yeah, go but ahead, then you, like they didn't you know. go anywhere with it. He was like a Mordecai guy, where like yep. he had all this fucking hype coming in, and it just went. <laughs> Well, I thought they didn't. I thought the reason they didn't do anything with it was because when they brought in Piper, they actually ended up instead of having like O'Hare run with the Devil's Advocate gimmick, they just put him with Piper instead. But where and did that end up going? I mean, exactly. What, you have, like, yeah, a nowhere. Two-month thing with Piper, like. Yeah, absolutely nowhere. Maybe he got hurt too. I don't know, but yeah, his his career was just like it was funny too because I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Instead of Batista, he was one of the guys they actually talked about initially putting in Evolution. As one of the guys. Time. Yeah, it would have been... I think he would have been the guy instead of Batista. But uh, obviously they went a different direction. So funny how, how people's careers can uh, can go a different way. Yes. Now, despite Sylvian Grane's... Uh, which, by the way, if he's a cricket referee, he should probably do a fast count. Right. Just, it seemed like a pretty normal cadence. Uh, but Hogan kicks out. 
and starts to Hulk up. And you would of think course. the guy who quote unquote created Hulkamania would know not to punch <laughs> him at that point. Right. Just throwing that out there. Uh, the crowd, I would say the crowd does get behind him when he hulks up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and any anytime he does the finger point, the crowd does the you. Yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a mark for it, I'll admit it. <laughs> oh, of course. He, he it, it, What I liked is he hit Vince with not one, not two, but three leg drops. Yeah, because obviously he's fucking Andre the Giant, clearly. And Brian Hebner, the original referee assigned to the match, and yes, the son of Earl Hebner. Or you could say the nephew of Dave Hebner. Comes in and makes the three count, and Hulk still rules, brother. That's right. His career is safe because his career was on the line in the match. By the way, his career was not actually on the line, but he made a comment like, if I lose to Vince, I'll never fight again or something like that. No, that, that was the stipulation. That was the stipulation. If he lost, his career was over. But it <laughs> that you know what that reminds me of when Brett was like, "If I lose, I'll never. If I don't win the title from the Undertaker, I'll never fight in America again." And they were like, yeah. "Well, that's that's the stipulation now because he said it." And he's like, yeah, well, "Seriously, wonder how this is going to turn out." Yeah. <laughs> um. So we get a you know Hogan must pose moment without Absolutely. real American, which is so fucking dumb. Yep. And then somebody else comes down to the ring. Somebody else comes down to the ring. Somebody who I don't think we've seen too much at this point since Survivor Series of 01. That's right, when the Alliance was uh, defeated. When the Alliance lost. I, uh, Shane McMahon comes out. Is he here to defend his father? Is he here to get into it with Hulk? I don't know. Hulk opens better, the... Better question, I would say, is why are we now focusing on Shane McMahon when we just had a fucking Hulk Hogan... Vince McMahon match that was quote unquote 20 years in the making and now you're just shifting the focus back to more McMahon family nonsense. Yes, that's a good point. Instead of Hogan, we, have... we get the visual of uh, of the bloody Vince flipping off Hogan as he leaves though. Which yeah, is and I was going to mention that. So Sh- uh, Hogan lets Shane in. He's you know basically like Taz said, I ain't got no beef with you, man. It's your father. You do what you got to do. Shane goes in there to check on his dad. A bloody Vince lifts his head up. And completely flips off Hogan in his classic, like, old man Vince finger. And the fucking commentators no-sell it. I know. What the fuck? I'm like, that. you know, you know JR would have been like, say that, a bastard to the end. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't even fucking mention it. And I I'm know. like, I, you know what? I noticed it. I noticed it the second he did it. I'm like, oh, he's flipping him off. What a fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't Jericho do that same sort of thing at one of the WrestleManias, too? Or somebody, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Jericho, where like he loses the match and he just flips... I don't even remember who it is. He flips somebody off after the match. Damn. Ah, I can't no, remember. You're probably right. I don't remember it, but... Was it when Jericho lost his career? No, when he that lost was the against Korea Cena. Match? Yeah, no, I th- I and he's was getting dragged out by the Dudleys. Is that when he flips them off? I don't know. Maybe. Anyway, maybe I, maybe I'm having a false memory there, but uh, yeah. So Hogan, Hogan wins. Hogan wins, and uh, Vince flips him off as he's leaving. So really, Vince wins. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Um, then we get a really well done video package for. The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Not as good as 17 with My Way, but still oh, yeah. pretty good with the uh, 
with the Limp Bizkit song here. Uh, yeah, it seemed addict. like that's what they were. That's what they were going for was the same sort of feel. Like because the My Way one was awesome, and like, hey, we have another Limp Bizkit song, so let's do this, but not nearly as as good. Now, to be fair, this match with Austin and Rock could have easily closed the show. Um, it was initially supposed to. Was it now? It was, but because of um, well, <laughs> some of the stuff in that. Basically, I was saying before we went on here that I watched the what they call during this show, they call it WrestleMania the movie, what actually ends up being called the mania of WrestleMania. So there's a lot of like behind-the-scenes stuff. I can get into that after we cover the match, but yeah, this was initially supposed to be the ending match because it's Austin's, you know. Uh, I guess we didn't know it was Austin's last match going in, and a lot of people behind the scenes didn't either, but this was the intention was to make it Rock versus Austin, and basically Austin spent the night in the hospital the night before, so yes. he was very worried about not being able to deliver a good match, so instead uh, we get Angle versus Lesnar as the finale, but uh, yeah, so now, I'll, I'll see, dive that, a little that bit more into that. That being said, um, you have... Okay, so do you remember a few years later at WrestleMania 28, they promote the end of an error match, uh, yes, of which course. they have just recently been talking about between Triple H and Undertaker, which Sean is the special guest referee, and it was going to be the end of an error because we weren't going to see those guys again. Mm-hmm. Instead, we've seen them every year since. I know. Like, like uh, Rock versus uh, Cena being once in a lifetime? Yeah. But unlike a Terry Funk retirement, this really did feel like the end of an era, because for all intents and purposes, not only was it Stone Cold Steve Austin's final match, but really, it would be a long time before we'd see The Rock again. Yeah, he'd make... Yeah. He, he, he'd come back at 20, he'd do a tag match with Foley against Evolution, um, and then I think he was gone. For eight for seven years until he hosted WrestleMania 27. So, when you think of the Attitude Era, similar to the logo for your podcast, you think of Stone Cold Steve Austin and you think of The Rock. And there's a lot more that goes into it. Obviously, Mick Foley, obviously Undertaker, Triple H, but Austin Rock was the rivalry I think of our generation. And this was it. This was the final night the Austin would face, that Austin would face The Rock at WrestleMania. Yep. And I thought, you know, it was definitely a good match. I thought it was better than their 15, not better than 17. Yeah, it's tough to say because I haven't seen those other matches in a while. Uh, on my timeline, WrestleMania 15 is coming up actually relatively soon, so I will see it pretty soon. Um but yeah, I wish I could provide like my own little ranking, but uh, alas, not not quite yet. I remember seventeen definitely in my recollection. Seventeen was the best, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Do you, do you have a, a ranking of your own? I think th- I think seventeen was the best, okay. uh, given the stakes, given the fact that it was in Texas. Um, yeah, which is of course the perfect time to turn Austin heel in Texas, wow. naturally. You know, even regardless of that, the the fucking energy during the entire match from both performers and the crowd was off the fucking charts. Absolutely. Um, and I'll say, I'll say with this, uh, with this particular match, both these entrances gave me goosebumps because I love Hollywood heel rock with that helicopter intro. Oh, and, see, uh, I thought I was the only one. No, absolutely, I love that. I and was a big the, uh, mark for that. Uh, for that. Helicopter and the little music beforehand, and then you just hear the is cooking. Like, Absolutely, 
I was a huge stuff. mark for that. And then Austin, obviously, you know, it's Austin. When he came out, and, and this is another classic Austin uh, moment, you see all the lights, you know, flashing in Safeco. Mm-hmm. Um, all the spotlights and all the fans, like, kind of, like, clamoring up, like, trying to reach him. Such a fucking great visual. Uh, Austin's got that fucking uh, leather vest on that says OMR, which yes. stood for One More Run. Yeah, or One More Round, I think. Uh, run, yeah, so, One More Round. Yeah. But um, that was great. And, mm-hmm. yeah, just these two guys, even though Rock's heel... It, it, it felt like Rock Hogan, where like nobody gave a shit. It was just awesome to see these two fight again. Yeah, and retroactively, I th- very few people knew going in it was Austin's last match, which is crazy. I heard there were four. I heard Austin, Jr., Vince, and Rock. And Rock, yeah, yep. So um, now yeah, the match I, itself, like I said, I thought it was pretty good. There was a, there was a couple of points I thought that were really funny during the match. Uh, Particularly when The Rock puts on Austin's vest and then proceeds to wear it for like (laughs) most of the match. Okay, yeah. So I actually went ahead and timed that as well. Um, (laughs) Would you care to take a guess as to how long Austin or how long Rock was wearing Austin's vest? Oh, a good five minutes at least. How about six minutes and twenty-two seconds? That was close. <laughs> it, it got to the point where it was like kind of distracting for me because I was like, "When is?" I was like, "When is he going to take the goddamn vest?" It's not until I think he does like the people's elbow spot. Yeah, it does. But, and he, he, he actually takes it off and spits it and throws it. Yeah, which I thought was great. Yeah, exactly. But I was like, "Wow, this is." way too long he's wearing this vest like it was cute at first but like especially when you know this is austin's last match and you're just like you're like basically taking the focus you're putting the focus on yourself on like you're wearing austin's vest for like just this huge portion of the match like if they show highlights from the match like a third of it is him wearing that vest so you're gonna see like highlights of rock during the match, is I don't know. It just struck me as incredibly bizarre. I don't know. Maybe that's no. It, it was. I, I hear you. Um. I thought it was crazy. I think that was the thing. It was like the visual was like, holy shit. But the, um, you know, I like the idea. I think I think the better thing would have been would be you put it on, you hit a move, and then you set up for the people's elbow and you throw it and you spit it. You know what I mean? I think that would have been like the quicker version of that and probably would have been more uh, efficient instead of having him like take, you know, 10 or 12 bumps while wearing the vest. Yeah. But uh, way, way too much. I will. I will say. I thought the. I thought they had a great match, especially considering Austin was in the hospital the night before. Um, he had been off for what eight months prior to this. Oh, he didn't wrestle before this. I don't know if he had any matches because I know he just recently returned to the company. See, O two was the year that he did the famous walkout when he took his ball and went home. Right, which was funny because I actually noted there's a soundbite for Jr. where like literally Jr. says Stone Cold has never quit on any of us, and I was like, uh, nine months ago, you know, like he that's that was even mentioned in the um, like the pre-match say, montage. It was, it, was, it was in the montage. He's like when he came back, he was like, "Well, Rock, I don't have a ball, but I got a can of whoop ass for you." <laughs> yeah, because Rock buried him. Well, Vince told him to bury him, but Rock buried him and was like. Oh, Austin took his ball and went home because things right. didn't go his way. Yeah, I think they even had Jr. bury him on uh, on Raw mm-hmm. too. He did. So, so for Jr. to say Austin never quit on us is kind of like an eye rolling moment. <laughs> a little, a little silly. 
But uh, yeah, Austin gone, and uh, he showed up. I think he showed up in No Way Out. I don't know if he's had a match. I would assume if he did, it would probably have been a very quick, forgettable match on Raw. Yeah, you know, some type of squash match or something. But maybe, maybe he fought Bischoff. I'm tempted to say he fought. That Bischoff. was it. Or he returned that, at No Way Out year? to fight Bischoff. Okay, well, that wasn't the previous year. That was no. That, that was, was this. Okay. That was this year. Yep. Right, because they they did segments where like Bischoff was going to try to find him. I think right. Yep. So that you're right. So this first match, which okay, so that's not really a match. That's Eric Bischoff. Um, so this was like his first real big money match back, and I think it did draw big money. I think it did very well uh, as far as when they announced this versus ticket sales spikes or, or buy rates or whatever. You know what I mean? Merch sales, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, what I thought was interesting is this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with with Booker T and Triple H. Rock hits him with a rock bottom, and Austin kicks out. Eventually, Rock hits him with a second rock bottom, and he kicks out. So what does Rock do? He fuck this and drills the shit out of him with a third. <laughs> that's right. And that's kind of how it should be. You know, look, if you're going to kick out of my finisher, but I'm going to fucking hit it again. <laughs> and did you notice after he got the pin, um, he very quickly put his head down. And he said something to Austin, and then he got up and got like on the turnbuckle. Yeah, I actually had a note about that. Yeah, well, because I you know what he in said. That ma- yeah, in that mania of WrestleMania, it's actually a funny contrast because uh, they they ask Rock afterward. He's like, "So, like, what did you what did you say to uh, Austin there?" And Rock's like, "No, you can't hear it. Sorry." And then they do it like a cut where they ask Austin the same thing, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'll tell you what he said." <laughs> so he says like basically it was just like. You know, Rock tells him that he loves him, and he, and he appreciated that Austin was willing to job to him. And yeah. like, you know, you don't know how much this means to me. That you don't sort know how of thing, much but this means to me, like, thank you. You don't know how much you don't know what this means to me, or something like that. So yeah, but it's it's literally like they do like a quick cut where it, where it's it goes from Rock being like, no, that's that's between us, to literally a second later, Austin being like, yeah, he told me that he loves me. I was like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> thanks thanks a lot for that, Austin. Just completely giving it away, but. Now, uh, you know, we should, we kind of should have known this was Austin's last match, because what do they do after Rock wins and after he celebrates and after they, he leaves? Did you notice they, this? They play his music. They they give it a second. Austin kind of in his classic, like same as he did at thirteen. I'm going to walk out of my own power, and they play his music and drink they it do. in Seattle. That is the last Stone Cold Steve Austin match in his career. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, on that note, do you want me to share some of the the behind the scenes stuff from the the mania of WrestleMania for this match? Please. So, for, for, well, for one thing, they interview Vince, and he says, for, "I don't know why this is relevant, but he says, you know, Rock as popular as he was was never quite Stone Cold Steve Austin." So uh, they have like they actually have Vince saying that, and this was right around the time that Rock was gone. So I assume that's probably something to do with it. Um, interestingly enough, this is what I was saying about the XFL before. So literally in the whole like. Uh, the day of the show, or the the previous day, excuse me, the previous, um, like the the day before, Austin is walking around the entire time wearing a Chicago Enforcers purple XFL jersey for some <laughs> reason. I have no idea why that was. Um, Austin says, quote, I didn't want anybody to know about my health problems because I'm Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'm not supposed to be hurt. So he is really, you know, playing it close to the vest there. Because uh, as you know, like nowadays, he'd probably get a huge send off on Raw. We get nothing. 
with yeah. you know, ar- the guy who's arguably the biggest star in the history of the business. It's just like, hey, his match is done, and he's gone. So there you go. Well, not only do we get nothing, he gets brought back as a character on Raw for a while, like as the co-GM, I think he gets named oh, yeah. in, in late 03. And, and the sheriff, whatever. Yeah, and, and nobody, even at that point, was like, oh, Austin's wrestled his last match. So we're constantly like, is we know he's been hurting, but is he going to get back in the ring? And I don't think it was until he got inducted into the Hall of Fame that they were like, oh, yeah, by the way, he's never wrestling yeah. again. Like, right. Yeah, because for a while, I think CM Punk was petitioning for a match with him, too, at some point, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, even, like, later, later down the line. Um, but another thing, too, is, like, basically, so Austin does, like, one of the interviews for the Mania of WrestleMania, and then, like, shortly thereafter, he kind of, like, places the frantic phone call for help from his hotel room. And Jim Ross's like, so he had what they called involuntary jumping of his legs. His heart rate was at heart attack level. Uh, according to JR, Stone Cold literally thought he was going to die. And again, this is the night, this is the night before. So he was still at the hospital on the morning of WrestleMania. So yeah, it was uh, not good stuff. And what they attribute it to was, uh, on, on the documentary, it says, quote, a dangerous combination of energy drinks, coffee, and stress. So, in addition, Ooh. of course, to the the neck condition he has, which is also preventing him from you know being able to wrestle anymore, he's got all that shit going. And this is also about a month and a half after his divorce from Deborah. So it's it's you know it's basically bad times in the lead up for Austin. But the funny thing too is once again it's a contrast where like they're interviewing Rock before the show, and he's just like happy go lucky as fuck. He's you know just walking around the arena, whereas Austin is in like complete misery. Um, and they say in the documentary that Austin, yes, he did tell Rock. And they did, they don't officially say he told Jim Ross, but because Jr. was with the hospital, was at the hospital with him, you kind of know that the Jim Ross knows as well, right? Um, and Austin basically also mentions a couple times he's worried about quote stinking the joint up because he thinks he can't put on a good match. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, that's pretty much the notes from the Mania of WrestleMania. So there was a lot of a lot of drama in the behind the scenes just in the build up to this match, which I would say was again a good match. Um, you know, again, these guys, have, like we said before, 17 is probably the top one. But, I mean, you know, it's it's Rock Austin, so you, you can't really complain too much. You know, one thing I will say, too, and I'll give the WWF credit on this, is that as, as opposed to pro sports, when an athlete gets hurt, and every single news outlet is the first person to report it, and you're literally there from the time he gets hurt through his surgery through his first practice back, and they document the shit out of everything. Uh, In wrestling, you know, the show must go on, so to speak, so we don't end up finding out about stuff like this until way after. And and the amount of stress that these guys go through, whether it's a WrestleMania or it's SummerSlam or whatever, like, I remember even when Cena wrestled that, that SummerSlam where he had the giant, like, baseball in his elbow. <laughs> yeah, oh my god. Because, but nobody knows these things going into the show, and they do such a good job of kayfabing it. Um, and credit to these guys, because, I mean, fuck, dude, anybody else that's going through that type of level of pain, they're not fucking showing up for work, man. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody always wants to put, like, you know... Kurt Schilling on a pedestal because, like, what he did in 04 <laughs> with the bloody sock, or like, you know, Brett Favre always gets a lot of credit for being like tough and like, you know, playing hurt, but not like that. Not like when you need surgery and you're still going out there and performing a 30 minute match. 
Well, that's actually, I mean, if you want to segue into the main event, that's a perfect segue there because you're talking about Kurt Angle going in where yep. everybody knew, like, wow, he he's going out there and he's actually going to have this match when he should not be having this match. Like, I, I remember people were, like, in the buildup, legit worried that he might do, like, some permanent damage to himself in this match. Which, funny, so. because going back to my point, you'd never know it. Kurt never once let that on on TV, like, in character. No. Yeah, it was all basically like the dirt sheet stuff leaking out, essentially. But even like just for the level of pain, you'd think like just like it's Sean did at fourteen, you'd see him grabbing at his neck or like wincing or like taking a step. No, Kurt was full throttle this entire match. Right, which is actually funny too because they played off of that. I'm pretty sure on like one of the SmackDowns in the lead up to it, it was the one where like they say you know <laughs> we're gonna have Brock versus Kurt on SmackDown. And I thought at the time that was their way of like doing the you know the quote unquote WrestleMania match on just basically getting it out of the way in like a two second squash on TV because then they can be like okay you know we'll find a replacement because Angle obviously can't go and they kind of play that up but instead they do the switcheroo where you know it's Eric Angle and then Kurt actually ends up getting the pinfall on Brock because they kind of like switch spots. But I remember thinking when they did that, it was like, okay, you know, because they announced it like a week in advance, it's going to be Brock versus Angle. They'll just do the switch on free TV because, you know, basically people didn't think Angle was going to be able to go. But instead, because Kurt Angle is a fucking maniac, he had to go out there on the biggest stage. And uh, when we covered that later after the show, on the Mania of WrestleMania, they show that he also ends up paying for it quite a bit as well. So, yeah, it was uh, not good times for a lot of these guys going in. It's funny, though, because. Um... <laughs> I I will very rarely credit Brock Lesnar as somebody who sells good. Yeah. But that Eric Angle spot, when he hits him with the F5 and then he goes to pin him, yeah, I will give the devil his due. Brock sold that perfectly. Yeah, where he's like, wait, what the fuck? Yeah, he literally had that, holy sh- who, who the fuck are you? Like, look on his yeah. face. And <laughs> and he played it perfectly because nobody, like the commentators and us at home, didn't understand. Like, you look like you just saw a ghost. And then, yeah. you know, he, he's searching for Angle, searching for Angle. He goes outside the ring, comes back. Angle's already switched, and he, he gets him with the inside cradle, and for the win, I thought that was fucking great. That was like yeah. Dave Hebner levels of fucking great. Yeah. Very clever. It was very clever. I, was that the first time they did that? Because I know they do it with The Undertaker at some point, too, but... With Eric Angle, that yes, that was yeah. the first time. Wow, okay, there you go. And, I, and it was done so... Because the hood over his head, and, you know, obviously he's not a twin, but they masked him up enough and, and, the, yeah. and the gear and everything that it, it's like when edge had hawkins and uh rider just show oh, up yeah. out of nowhere right um and people as long like, as they have similar body types yeah and and, and obviously angle with his brother is going to resemble him some you know right. it was perfect dude it yeah. was, the only thing i will say about the video package that bothered me is the entire video package was kurt angle talking yeah right did we hear well, from the challenger Nope. Well, he's not much we for heard, promos. We heard from the announcers. We heard from Angle. Uh, I think we might have even heard from Paul Heyman at one point. Mm. Uh, um, but the only thing you hear from the challenger at the very, very end of the video package was, Here comes the pain. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I had... Uh, 
you know what? That's got to be one of his biggest detriments. For as great of a performer as Brock Lesnar would become, he's never been able to talk. Yeah. Well, actually, I will say, on the note of that, here comes the pain. I think that actually is a really great contribution by Taz. Um, Because he's the one who started that whole thing when Brock comes out, right? Here comes the pain. That's correct. But one thing that's not a great contribution during this match is when Taz refers to Brock as, quote, the vanilla gorilla, which uh, uh, probably pretty obvious why that one never caught on. Didn't see that one on a T-shirt at any point. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I heard him say it, and I literally didn't know if that was a thing in 2003. (laughs) I'm like, were they trying to were they trying to push that like as a as a moniker? Because I didn't remember it at all. But I'm well, glad that you you brought that up because I wasn't the only one that was like, what the fuck did he just call him? Yeah, cause, well, because why would you call one of your own guys vanilla? I mean, in this case, you're probably doing it because I guess he's white, so he's the vanilla gorilla. But I mean, when you have vanilla in there, it's like you know when Kevin Nash said vanilla midgets. It's it's meant to imply you know somebody who's very boring. Which at this right. point, Brock Lesnar, even though he couldn't cut a promo, when you watch his in ring stuff, it was you know the farthest thing from boring so so vanilla gorilla so here's the problem with vanilla gorilla because as taz has gone on his own show to discuss there are times where he's left out there to be himself and be creative (laughs) but there were other times where he's being fed lines oh and if he doesn't say it vince will just keep repeating it in his his ear like say it (laughs) <laughs> so he's in there the whole time being like vanilla gorilla, vanilla gorilla, and it, like and then Vince will like get like mad, like if he doesn't say it, like he'll start like hey Kevin, Kevin get on Michael Cole's headset and find out why he's not saying vanilla gorilla. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a story about that actually because there was a time where like after Mick Foley was retired, he did commentary for like maybe like a week or two. Yes, and, and he, was, couldn't he couldn't stand it. Yeah. Yeah. It was like it was left. done. Yes, yeah, as, as quickly as he as he came in, it was over basically. Yeah. Um, uh, to seg- to a very quick side note, so there was a gimmick on Raw this week where uh, Leo Rush, who was the new mouthpiece for Bobby Lashley, was given a live mic during Lashley's match as he was at ringside, mm. and he was saying all this fucking annoying shit, and basically they were setting up Lashley's heel turn, but oh. Leo Rush was being really annoying and and just obnoxious and i found out today that every single thing rush said was fed to him by vince oh he was wearing like one of those like you know trans you know like an earpiece invisible earpieces and vince had him say every single thing he wanted him to say oh my god so that's that's the type of micromanagement did he have him did he have him say suffering succotash (laughs) no um but, I mean, he did a good job because Rush did come off as obnoxious, and, and people were like, oh, this fucking guy. So that when Lashley turned heel, it kind of, like, played into it. Oh. So that's the plan but, uh, for Lashley now is to turn him heel. All right. Okay. Why not? He's, he's a heel now. And he beat the shit out of Kevin Owens to the point where he took him out. Owens is out of action. In Wait, real is life, Kevin Owens hit. a face? They, they literally did a double turn in the middle of the match. Wow. Okay. Owens started working face. He did a fucking... Um, you know, over the top rope like plancha, which Owens never does. Yeah, and uh, they made Rush obnoxious, and then they made Lashley uh, after even after he beat Owens, he kept going back in there and like taking his knee and slamming it off the ring post and like like you know dirty you know downright dirty shit and like yeah Lashley's now a heel, and when Owens comes back after his knee surgery, he's going to be one of the biggest faces in the company. Yeah. 
It's Austin Hart all over again. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, to tie that in to this match, I oh man, talk about fucking role reversal. Kurt Angle is taking Brock to Suplex City in this match. Yeah. Which also, that's one of the one of the suplexes he did. I've never seen before, where he does a release German suplex with Brock but into the, guy, but the Brock, turnbuckle. Yeah. Oh, okay, that one. Okay, yeah. so I was gonna say there was two. But he yeah, I know a, the other one you're talking about too. Where yeah, Brock he basically does a does release like, German, and, and yeah. Brock lands on his stomach, which comes yeah, he does off like a like, standing oh. backflip basically. But then the other one, and you know what, Brock should probably. He should and he shouldn't, because Lord knows he'd probably kill Roman Reigns if he did do this. But he should. Uh, he does a release German and lets the guy go into the turnbuckle. Yes. So it almost comes off like a buckle bomb, but what fucking impact. Like, yeah. Vicious. It was. It was vicious. Angle was vicious during this match. He was fucking great. He was. Um, the one thing I hated when they... So they turned Brock face at Survivor Series 2002 mm-hmm. when... Paul Heyman turned on him because Paul Heyman didn't think he could beat the Big Show. Right. So then Paul Heyman goes with Big Show, and Big Show's the champ. But to make Brock sympathetic, they decide to give him this quote-unquote rib injury. So I don't know about you, but I've never liked the rib injuries in in my wrestling storylines. The taped-up ribs? The the taped-up ribs... Because all they do throughout the entire match is tell you that every single thing you do hurts because you have tape rips. Right. Right. <laughs> and they spend, like, way too much time, like, oh, can't breathe because his ribs are taped. Oh, he can't sneeze because his ribs are taped. Like, which, which, although in fairness in this match, Brock has the taped up ribs, but he barely really ever sells any of it. Like, when, when Kurt goes to his ribs, he sells it. But, like, otherwise, it's not hampering him at all in the match. No, that's why I didn't care much for him being taped up coming out. Right. Um, you know, that being said, I thought these two had a really good match. Absolutely. Um, considering the limitations you would think Kurt Angle would have on him going in, it's pretty crazy. Well, I will say, like, at the beginning, they're doing a lot of, like, amateur wrestling style, like, um, mat-based work that the crowd is not you, really into, but they, they get him hooked as they go further they in. They do get they, him hooked as they go further in, and you have a fucking former gold medalist and a former collegiate NCAA champion. So yeah, I don't yes. blame them for doing the amateur uh, wrestling to start. Yeah, and this is actually the first time they've ever, aside from like the uh, the brief match on SmackDown that was like the Eric Angle swerve, this was their first match. I remember this being like pretty hotly anticipated, I think. That's right? what they said. They kept them apart. Other than the, the switcheroo, this was the first time these guys had in-ring contact. Absolutely. Um, and I thought it was smart when Stephanie came out in the promo and she was like, no team angle, and if you get yourself disqualified or if you get counted out, you lose the belt. Because what that does, obviously, that forces the heel Kurt Angle to straight up fight Brock. Yep. Like no bullshit. I can't cheat because if I get caught, I'll lose my title, and I can't have help. So it's just me versus you. And I thought that was great for this match. Right. right. And Michael Cole actually, and I don't know if this is actually true, but Michael Cole says on commentary, like, so Brock kicks out of the Angle Slam, and Angle kicks out of the F five, and Brock yes. says that's never happened on either occasion. I feel like that's probably bullshit, but I don't know for sure. But your your sentiments are very similar to many others who I've read online about this match. Okay. <laughs> uh, where where Angle. Somebody, I think, has kicked out of the angle slam, whether it was Austin or Taker yeah, sure. or Rock. I'm sure. 
F5 was protected, so that part's probably true. Hmm. But it's WrestleMania, so you got to kick out everybody's finisher. We know the formula by now. <laughs> of course. And actually, on the note of finishers, this is actually one thing that always bothered me about the ankle lock, was there would be times, uh, including the Royal Rumble match I was at, where he, he faced Benoit, and he won the match with Benoit because he got him in the ankle lock, and then what does he do? Instead of like making it so you know he's just holding the ankle and Benoit can you know crawl to the ropes or wriggle free, he puck fucking puts it in the leg grapevine and mm-hmm. then you can't goddamn go anywhere. So it always bothered me when he did that. Uh, like the first time, once he did it for the first time, I was always like, well, why don't you do that literally every time? Because why are you doing this whole thing where you're picking the guy up by the ankle and he can kind of like crawl away? You should be doing the grapevine every single time because if you don't, the guy can just kind of get away. So Well, like, okay, so I've always kind of chalked that up to if you can get his leg, then you'll grapevine it. But in character, if he's already, you know, pushing himself up and trying to crawl away, then maybe you can't get his leg grapevined. Okay, all right. So, because the one thing I noticed about that is... Um, to your point, when he does get it, Grapevine, there's no escape. Right. So, although, if, although Brock actually does in this match, but true. But he's just so big and strong. Um, but uh, yeah, but know, that, that was it's like the Big Show. There's not really a choice in that matter. But right, normally, right. Um, I think the, as soon as somebody slaps on the ankle lock, the first thing you see them do is push up with their hands. So if they start crawling away, well, then your leg's not in a position to get yourself Grapevine. So okay, that kind of worked. Me. I'll go along with that. Um, yeah, I was surprised they let Angle kick out of the F5, but again, WrestleMania, so I'll, I'll go with it. Right. Uh, Although there was a little bit of a delay in between, I think, right? Like a slight delay. Not, no, not no like there a, was. No, there absolutely was. He yeah. didn't pin him right away. It wasn't he, 23 seconds, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so let's get to the spot that everybody remembers this match for yes the the when Brock hits the second f5 but then he doesn't go for the cover for some no. reason what and is nobody it? What can understand do? why he doesn't go for the cover you know Taz is screaming on commentary cover him Brock cover him Brock goes to the apron and looks at the ref and starts walking towards the turnbuckle which in my mind at when I watch this live, I was like, ooh, Brock with those heel tendencies, he's going to take that turnbuckle pad off, and then he's going to take Kurt Angle and snake eyes him into it. <laughs> that's that's as far as my imagination would get me, because why else would Brock be going to the turnbuckle? Yeah, why indeed? Well, Taz asked the same question, Michael Cole asked the same question, and Brock decides to start climbing the turnbuckle. Now, the very first thing, and I remember this vividly, when I watched it originally, was you notice just how far Kurt is oh. from from the turnbuckle. It's like three quarters of the way three across. Three quarters, and you're not looking at Van Dam, so you know <laughs> there's literally nothing Brock can do. But what I thought, at the very least, was Brock was going to do like a splash. Right. Do you know what I mean? That's like, kind of what I figured, too. I, I, it, I never, I, not knowing at the time that he actually had been doing the shooting star press, you know, occasionally in OVW, not knowing at the time, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, oh, he's probably going to do some, like, lengthy splash because I couldn't even fathom with how far Kurt Angle was across that he could even reach him doing anything else, you know? So, 
I, I gave Brock the, the benefit of the doubt because I was like, okay, he's an athlete, he's a college athlete, he's six foot three or whatever he is. Um, he'll probably be able to to kind of headbutt him, like with the with the flying splash. Like I don't think he's gonna get all of it, but <laughs> whatever, he, he'll he'll make it work. And then he launches, and I'm not gonna lie to you, Henry. At first, I didn't know what the fuck he did. Because <laughs> <laughs> he launches himself in the air. But then very quickly, he becomes vertical. And then within a second of absolute horror, <laughs> he lands on his fucking head. Yeah. Pretty much right next to Angle. Right. So definitely Angle, didn't like- hit him. Right, but Angle kind of has the wherewithal when he realizes it comes up short to like sort of like roll out of the way as though it didn't connect. Which Michael Cole picked up on because he was like, oh, Kurt rolled out of the way. Um, to which I always wondered, like, okay, so at first I wondered why didn't he roll towards Brock, but probably because Brock would have died then because, like, <laughs> his, his head would have landed, like, on Angle's, like, hip or something and he probably would right. have pr- broke his neck. Yeah, broke his but, freaking neck. Right, but then Angle, you know, kind of moved out of the way, so it looked like like he was smart and he moved. Right. Um, so Brock lands on his head, Ugh. and the entire fucking audience reacts with not, oh my god, that was a crazy move, but oh my god, that guy's dead. Yeah, oh my god, his <laughs> career's over. <laughs> and... I will say this, because I've, I've been wanting to say this ever since I started watching this mania. Brock takes a second to drag Angle closer, and he hits that move, and the legend of Brock Lesnar is completely different than what we know it is today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know what on I mean? That note, he is made as the guy at that yeah, point. Well, well, apparently it was it was somebody else's idea to have him do that and have like a WrestleMania moment. You know who yep. told him to do it? I don't know who because okay. So before you tell me who, Brock did an interview on Austin's podcast when that was like a thing on the network, and Austin talked to him about that. And all Brock said was like, you know, some I listened to veterans in the back who told me it would be a WrestleMania moment, yep. but uh, I didn't. You know, next time I realized really quickly that they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> yep. Well, he actually, in his book, he does mention who it was. Uh, would you like to know who it was? Was it Arn Anderson? I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you a hint. Hey, Brock! You should do the shooting star press, Brock. No. Yes. For a guy who never fucking left his feet in WCW or in Japan. Well, he was on a skateboard in WCW, so that kind of counts. Oh, so let me get this straight. Mr. fucking John Laronitis is that the is one correct. who said, Hey, Brock, hey, Brock, do the shooting star press of Mania like you used to do in OVW. It'll be huge. Yep. Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So, yes, that's according to Brock's book, he actually does name John Laronitis as the guy who told him to do it. Yeah. So, but amazingly, Brock's not dead. Now it's funny because <laughs> when Vince started this night, I'm sure he assumed I might have to have an ambulance ready for that WWE title match. B. 
Because he probably thought Kurt Angle was going to break his neck. <laughs> right, I know. Funny how that works out. Yeah, huh? little did he think that he would need the ambulance for Brock. Now, Brock... Okay, so Angle does the smart thing and, and tr- covers Brock. And thank God Brock wasn't uh, unconscious because he did kick out. Yeah, what would what would happen if that was the inverse where like now all of a sudden like Brock is knocked out and Angle fucking pins him and, w- and wins the t- or keeps the title I should say like what then I, like they're gonna make Angle do another match with a fucked up neck I think if Angle noticed he was out he wouldn't have covered him I'd like to think that like maybe he would have bought yeah. some time or like you know uh, kind of like gloated for a little bit or something but yeah, I that's think fair. he 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 covered him because he probably was like. You all right? Yeah, I'm all right. Like, and then just like you know, quickly transition into that to allow him to kick out. Now, the other thing too, I've always wondered is Brock hits the Shogun Star Press. Is that the finish? Yes, I think that was supposed to be the finish. Okay, so he then, had just he had just hit the F five before then. So then the third F five was completely impromptu. Yes, the third that was the improv was basically like because they don't do any sort of like they don't even do like any sort of. Um, you know, chain, chain wrestling to get there. It's just like Angle picks up Brock, and then Brock just hits him with an F5 out of nowhere. So I think that was kind of like their improvisation to be like, you know what, just give me an F5 and let's just finish it. Well, good on them, because they made it look legit. You know what I mean? It, for anybody yeah. who was just a fan, who you know, maybe like a kid or something like that, you literally thought Brock, hey, Brock just took three F5s to beat him. That's like, you didn't give it a second thought. You know what I mean? Right. And the actually the funny thing I, I I noticed also as well is like when Angle picks up Brock like right before that final F five he literally like grabs him by his neck and is like picking him up I was like oh man that's <laughs> like after he just landed on his head you're like picking him up by his neck so you never know though for a guy who's had that many neck problems maybe he was like stabilizing his neck you know what I mean maybe well I mean yeah if anybody would know about neck surgeries I guess it'd be Kurt Angle that's what I mean like so maybe he was actually or maybe he was thinking he was helping him I don't know. Um, yeah. After the match, I'm going to be the first one to tell you, Brock looks dazed as shit. He was. Yeah, he was out. They, actually, with that Mania of WrestleMania thing, they actually have uh, some backstage footage from, like, right after. Was he fucking loopy? Oh, my God. So they, they're they putting, like, the cervical collar on him and, like, trying to get him to go on a stretcher. And he is having none of it. He, like, rips off the collar, and he just he just yells out, Get the fuck off me! And just, like, rips it off. And basically, like, he's he's just, like, so pissed off, and, like, people are... He's got, like, a million people crowding around him, and he's just, like, so out of it. And eventually, eventually, of all people, it's actually Gerald Briscoe who gets him to calm down. I don't know if it's, like, you know, those those old amateur wrestlers sticking together or something. Or maybe, maybe Briscoe scouted him. Briscoe might have scouted him. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, like, Briscoe's the one who finally gets him to calm down. But, uh, yeah, Brock was, like, having none of it. He did not want to go out on a stretcher. And But here's the other thing, too. So... They do that, like, Brock ends up eventually, he doesn't go out on the stretcher, he kind of, like, walks off, and miraculously, he ends up being fine. But on the other end, so Kurt Angle, basically, he goes to his locker room to get changed, and essentially, like, what they had said was, like, he had been running on pure adrenaline to get through the match, and he basically, like, when he's getting changed, he just kind of, like, goes into shock. So he's basically, like, he's lying on the floor of his locker room, shaking uncontrollably, they put, like, oh, shit. teeth are chattering. They put three coats on him. They put socks on him. He's still not, you know, stopping shaking. And so he just basically, you know, is going to the hospital, too. They actually, they actually interview Karen Angle at this point, too, which is retroactively unfortunate. But, um, yeah, Kurt basically goes into shock after the show is over because he was just so amped up to get through 
the match and had and put on a good show. Out at the final, at the very end of it. Wow, right. that's yeah, crazy. Like who, who knows how much he could have done, um, you know, if he had actually been healthy. I mean, because obviously he put on a great match, but uh, and then they kind of fast forward eleven days after that, where Kurt's getting the neck surgery. Yeah, and at this point, there, there's actually. It's kind of like when you watch it retroactively, it's a really unfortunate soundbite where he says, quote, I'm at the point now where without painkillers, I can't really function. So, so I was like, there you go. There's, there's pro wrestling in a nutshell for you right there. But then he has the surgery and obviously it, it works out pretty well because he's back in like three months and he obviously just wrestled on Raw this past week. So I guess, he's, See, I guess he's doing okay. It doesn't work out pretty well, though, because... It's, it's those type of injuries and those type of surgeries that lead to the painkiller addiction, which he would then fight with for the next 10 years. True. But he, he was saying he already had it before the surgery, that he was he couldn't function without the painkillers because his neck was so bad. No, no, but, I um, get that. It's just that that's the part that sucks. And, like, Angle especially, oh, yeah. like... I you know I watched that, that um, documentary they did when, when he came back to the WWF uh, a couple years ago, and, like, mm-hmm. you know... Vince was hugging him, and um, yeah, he he was clean and sober, and it was like thank God because this is a guy who went from being an Olympic gold medalist to being a absolutely one of the fastest uh, people who ever became a you know a star in wrestling. Oh yeah, uh, and, the, and completely worth it. He's just like the transition he made coming into pro wrestling was amazing. Yeah, I was thinking about this. Uh, this is 03 that he, he's doing this, and he's already had like multiple world championships, and he just won his gold medal in '96. So what's he been a pro wrestler for six years, like five years? Not even like you know what I mean? Because he didn't go right into it. So no, I think it was like '98 was when he's when he went into right. So uh, we're OVW. talking like he he started training in '98 and he's already become a multi-time world champion. Is one of the best. Like nobody's picked up the business like he has in that amount of time. Absolutely. Um, but he goes from that to you know essentially. Uh, drug addiction, multiple DUIs, <laughs> I know, know divorce. Yeah. Like it fucking sucks, man. Like and Jeff Jarrett taking his wife. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that's the thing. You, you, you know the duality of fame. You have you see this person super successful, ultra um, amazing at everything they do, and then on the other side, they're addicted to drugs. Like yep, uh, or their life is falling apart. So I, I don't know how many. Years Angle took off of his life or his career by doing this match, but you know the fucking cyborg that he is. He went out there and nobody even nobody knew shit. I didn't know yep. until way later that he would wrestle that match hurt. Yeah, he, I, well, I knew just because like it was, if you were reading the dirt sheets, it was like it was all over there for a while. But um, like I didn't know about Austin. Like Austin did a like there was I, that wasn't leaking out until like. Even in the Wrestling Observer, I think they like Dave Meltzer is usually on top of everything. I know people slag him, but if you go back and read those old issues, he's like he calls everything like way in advance, and even he didn't know until like after the fact. I think he was one of the first to report it, um, like after WrestleMania, like that was Austin's last match, and people were like, "What, really? Like, no, that's not true." But yeah, like with with Angle, that was that had leaked out a little bit. Austin's kind of was was a secret again only like a handful of people knew about austin but you know like you said if you weren't reading the dirt sheets you wouldn't have even known it no nope, i didn't i didn't even understand why he was off tv after the match i just didn't get it and then i started finding stuff out but uh let me ask you this if because uh, we had talked about if brock hits that shooting star press what his career trajectory is after that so 
back when he returned to the WWE in 2012, Brock made a, a comment in his feud with Cena that uh, Cena's in that spot because I wasn't here, right? Mm. And the the celebration they give Brock after this match with the fireworks going all around Safeco Field and just that, you know, here's our next guy. Was he? Do you think he was going to be the next guy? I, I think so, but I still think Cena would have gotten there anyway, regardless. You I know, mean, it might have maybe, taken a little longer. I feel like they were like, when you think about like how quickly Brock became champ from the minute he debuted, I think they were they were ready to put a ton of money behind him, with yeah. the only thing holding him back being the promos. Yeah, but like in ring, like in ring oh three, Brock is fucking great. Yeah, the fact that he can even do a shooting star press three quarters of the way across the ring at that size is ridiculous. I know he didn't hit it on this night, but I mean, he he hit it in OVW mm-hmm. a bunch of times. Um, so the fact that he can do that is just ridiculous. He was just a just a freak athlete. Yeah, and I, I just I think he could have been the you know the next superstar in this business if he didn't have a falling out with them and didn't leave in 04 and you know who knows I mean he ended up getting a good four years at the very top of the WWF later on in life and starting in he, 2012 but he could have been the next big thing yeah <laughs> um and who knows like you know obviously you couldn't talk but I think they've proven and by trial by fire because when he originally came back he didn't have Paul Heyman with them but they've proven that with Paul Heyman, it completes the act. There's no better talker, and there's no better physical imposing force than the fucking uh, beast incarnate. So, right, he's turned. When, he, when he's left to talk on his own, we get things like him saying, "What's running down his leg is piss." <laughs> <laughs> Good times. Uh, you remember uh, a couple weeks ago we played that game of let's pick a random raw and watch it. Yeah. Yeah, so Good that times. that episode they did an exclusive controversial interview with Brock. And that's when he said that uh don't be concerned with what what Cena's saying. What you should be concerned with what's running down his leg. Piss. <laughs> yeah. That was obviously pre-Heyman coming back into the act. <laughs> that was like one of the well no, not that because it was pre-tape, but then he did this awful fucking segment with Laronitis. Where he's demanding what he wants. Oh, oh God! Yeah, that was where he was like, "John, feel this moment, feel it." And like, <laughs> yeah, I think that was literally after that when he like went backstage. It, they, it was like after that he was like yelling at somebody. He was so pissed off at somebody for having him do the segment that they like decided to bring Heyman back shortly. It, after it was that. that that night they had like a meeting and they were like, "What are we gonna do? He can't, he can't talk." Like, he can't, he's, like, really bad. Like, he, he just goes off on tangents, and nobody understands what the fuck he's saying because of his, his country twang, and they were like, we need Paul. Yep. <laughs> and call gone, Paul. Heyman's gone on to say in his DVD that, like, he was out doing other stuff. He wasn't even doing wrestling. And uh, <laughs> I forget if it was, I don't think it was Dreamer. I think it was Brock that reached out to him first. And, was like, and he's gotten hey, what, six years worth of paycheck since. Yeah, but he was like, hey, you know, are you interested? I think at first Heyman was like, no, but then they kind of were like, well, it's for Brock. It's not really for you, but it's for Brock. And he was like, well, 
It's for Brock, and it's a light schedule. I'll work like 12 days a year. Yeah, why not? And to be fair, there's been nobody better on the fucking microphone than Paul Heyman. You know, Absolutely. Um, but on this night, Brock Lesnar was the king of the industry. There you go. Even though he missed the shooting star press. We'll forgive you, Brock, because you're not dead. If you died, you we go. wouldn't be so happy. <laughs> uh, what was your match of the night? Ooh, great question. Of the one, I think I have to go with uh, with Jericho versus Michaels. Mine as well. Um, such a great match with two really like similar styles. But the way both guys play their characters is fucking amazing. You know, Jericho doing the kip up or doing the super kick and Michael's playing that like, you know, showstopper. It's just it's fucking magic. Yeah. And I think a, a a big thumbs up for this show as well, not just for that match, also for the main event obviously. Rock versus Austin was fun too. And uh yeah, even like the stuff that was short like Matt Hardy versus Mysterio was really fun. So yeah, this this whole event gets a, a pretty big thumbs up for me, I would say. Yeah, this whole uh, surprisingly because I I remember like the first time I watched it I wasn't like that into it and I just think I wasn't that into like the O3 storylines. But mm. when I went back and watched it um there was four or five matches that were really entertaining. And and Michaels Jericho, Rock Austin, Brock Angle uh and as far as the entertainment value yeah, Hogan and Vince, you know? Like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll even say that even though I didn't like the outcome, I was invested in Triple H versus Booker T. Yeah, and even if you go to the women's match and the triple, the triangle tag match, they weren't bad. They were just, you know, they weren't just, great, but they're solid. They were solid, um, which, you know, it's funny that you say that because for me, worst match of the night was the match they should have never booked. It was Taker in the fucking handicap match I was gonna say yeah I was gonna say the same thing if the cat fight match doesn't count as a match then yes I would go with that one too yeah uh, because the cat fight match was more of a comedy spot like look what they did to coach so (laughs) and even that was thankfully kept mercifully short yes but Taker versus Big Train was like just pointless and very very forgettable yeah he hits the tombstone and he also comes down with that giant fucking hacksaw Jim Duggan type of American flag on his bike (laughs) Which is great, because, you know, he's got a nephew in the Marines. I don't know if you've heard that. Yes. <laughs> uh, which, again, I don't need I don't need that from the Undertaker character. I don't need to know that he has a nephew in the Marines. <laughs> you know, I'd rather I'd rather he be dead, and uh, and I don't know anything about his backstory. Thanks, well, thanks very much. Oh, I know that Kane is his brother, and they burned on the funeral parlor. That's all I need to know. Yeah, the, the mystery is always better than, than an actual real-life story. Indeed. So... It just was a waste, though. A-Train? Come on. Yeah. And uh, A-Train, Albert, fucking Jason Myers, whatever the fuck his name is. Like, <laughs> Lord Tenzai. Like, you know you know what? You know what? Fuck it. Taker versus Lord Tenzai would have been a more interesting match. Yeah, most likely. Because <laughs> then we would have had Sakamoto in there. Oh, God. <laughs> Touche. Well, it's not All too right. late. Maybe, maybe for WrestleMania 35 or 30... Don't Six, joke about that one. because because Jason Albers is still employed with the company as the yeah, NXT head trainer. Saugus, and I'm sure they can go get Sakamoto somewhere. Saugus, Massachusetts' his own. <laughs> Adrian. Um, Prince Albert. So, 
Next time on the podcast, we'll be going back home to where it all begins again and again and again and again, except for this year, because now they'll never go back to MSG again. No. (laughs) Too small. Well, ROH went there, so now they're stained forever. (laughs) Well, they haven't gone there yet. They're scheduled to go there the weekend of WrestleMania, which will be fun. So, that's right. Next episode, we will cover WrestleMania 20 live from the historic and, what do they call it? The legendary? I don't know. The Mecca? Madison Square Garden. You know, as a Bostonian, I never got the whole fucking hype about Madison Square Garden. A lot of that yeah. is WWE's hype too, because they that was Man. their home base for so long, you know. So, so it was like in Vince's best interest to make it seem like you know holy ground. I also jest as a uh, jilted Bostonian fan. I, I, I get it, you know, yeah. Madison Square Garden. I get it. Yeah, um, I understand I, why the WWE does it, from like, but from like a sports fan perspective, it's like, yeah, that's where the Knicks play, and they've been <laughs> shit for years. <laughs> yeah, the Knicks and the Rangers, who were good in like '94 when they had Messier. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they had one good and, year. And I'm sure they were good in the 60s and 70s, but guess what? So were the fucking Browns. So, yeah. <laughs> um, But we'll see what the, uh, what the WWE has to offer for us in this episode, or this show, rather, uh, from Madison Square Garden. I'm sure the ending will be in no way depressing. No, of course not. I mean, how could it be? <laughs> I'm sure whatever they decide to do to end that will just be replayed on the network for years and years to come. Absolutely, and they won't edit out anything whatsoever of the end. Like, hypothetically, if the guy who wins had his family come into the ring, they, they wouldn't edit that out, I'm sure. <laughs> no, you know what? <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Uh, we're going to leave that one there. We'll explore it next time. Maybe not we, but I will dive into that Um because I didn't know that, and now that I think about it, I'm scared to find out more about it. I'm pretty sh- <laughs> pretty sure that happens. <laughs> like Nancy and never mind. Yeah, you know and the, yep. no, no, we're we're just the dogs are in the enclosed pool area. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much, Henry. Of course, of course. Check me out on the Raw Attitude podcast. Make sure to f- oh well, actually, Henry, please plug your plug your Twitter, plug your stuff. Oh, yep, at Raw Attitude Pod. And uh, again, I'm the host of the Raw Attitude Podcast. We chronologically recap episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. And uh, it's a great show. We're on episode, uh, as of right now, we've done 60 episodes. Just did the one, the uh, the go-home show before St. Valentine's Day Massacre, which was the Sky Dome episode of Raw, where they literally packed 41,000 fans into the Sky Dome, which is still, to this day, the highest attendance they've ever done for an episode of Monday Night Raw. So really cool to see. Unfortunately, that episode of Raw was was not very good. But um, putting 41,000, it just lets you know how hot the product was at the time that you could pack you know, 40,000 plus for an episode of Raw. So yeah, good good times. But uh, yeah, catch me on the Raw Attitude Podcast and uh, at Raw Attitude Pod on Twitter. Who cares if the episode was good? They already got your money at that point. <laughs> that's a, <laughs> they that's sold a... out 41,000 tickets. They could put on fucking shit for three hours and it doesn't matter they got your money that's like that old Hulk Hogan line yeah we already got their money brother so yeah you don't have to don't have to put on a good match I, you know what though it's it, as convoluted as that Raw was 
Uh, I'm sure they're going to do a phenomenal job at St. Valentine's Day Massacre and the Raw after. I hope so, because I really don't remember much about either. Well, I'm sure that's not telling at all. <laughs> I, well, I remember the hardcore match. I remember the main event. I remember I, the the Austin-Vince Cage match. I honestly don't remember how the Rock Mankind Last Man Standing match turns out, so I'm actually really looking forward to that, because I, I really do not know how the match ends. I've completely forgotten about this one, so definitely psyched for that. Well, in that case, I will say make sure you watch that match first before you go any further on the network for anything else. Ooh, all right. Uh, let's see here. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at WrestleMania Cell. You can follow the flagship, The Rundown, at Rundown Podcast. And if you're a fan of horror, check out our check out the Slasher Sanitarium and give them a follow at Slasher Podcast. And you can check out all of our shows on the Rundown feed, including the Patreon-only exclusives like the May Young Classic Review and the Crapshoot. These are episodes you can only get if you subscribe to our Patreon. And, of course, make sure to check out the flagship show, The Rundown Wrestling Podcast, now approaching its 400th episode. Wow. And by approaching, I mean that somewhere in 2019, as long as we still have hosts left. <laughs> Henry, I'm not sure if you're aware, I have been testing out a new catchphrase every week. Yes. I find something that sticks. So I'm going to end this episode with Who better than Canyon? <laughs> no? Oh, man. I, I don't think he's still on the roster in 2003, but I, I appreciate it. Or as Adam once got kicked out of a chat room for saying Who better than Canyon? That is true. Probably the same day I bet he said that. Oh, God. Alright, for now we'll catch you guys later.